Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal! Hey, this is Chad Z, roadie for Metallica, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. All right, welcome to Middle Up Your Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Wells. I have a very special guest. Came all the way to my studio, my new studio. You were the first guest that I've ever had in my studio, my friend Lee Gamilla. Welcome to the show, Lee. I'm honored. Thank you, Clint. Uh, you have a great, great room here. It's a great man cave. You got the guitars, the vinyl, yeah. everything. It's aspirational. My wife gets tired of me talking about Metallica. I can just come up here and live <laughs> up here. Yeah, right. Perfect. You came wearing the Ride the Lightning shirt. Yeah, felt felt good. Love it. You came bearing gifts of the uh, some blackened whiskey. Yes, which is never harmful. Always good. No, always good. It's a bottle I'd gotten the uh, the West Henderson collaboration bottle um, a while ago. Hadn't opened it, and uh, this felt like a perfect occasion to do so. Now, what's funny is when we were in my kitchen and you got here and you were explaining the uh, generous bottle that you brought. Is I thought you were saying the Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah, no, totally different thing. And I kept thinking, wow, the quirky, <laughs> weird director guy collaborated with blackened whiskey <laughs> yeah that's, that's a curveball <laughs> so lee and i looked up as you all know out there which by the way check out our episode with rob dietrich the master distiller who, who heads up black and whiskey after dave pickerel passed away it's a great episode where he explains the collaboration and one of the things that we all know that they do is they blast these damn barrels with a unique playlist we looked up the playlist you want to recite the playlist for this yeah uh so for the for this batch of blackened uh the playlist is for whom the bell tolls great opener uh no remorse uh, low-key, maybe my favorite song on Kill em All. Mm. King Nothing, The Unforgiven, Hit the Lights, Orion, The Day That Never Comes, and then Blackened 2020. Um, let's do a cheers. Let's, cheers. I know we already did one, but let's no, do let's one right now from the episode. Live. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> cheers, man. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah, dude. Welcome to the show. So we, we have an interesting, uh, we have an interesting uh, uh, origin story. We'll have to talk about how we met. By the way, this tastes great. I'm not a bourbon nerd, so I don't know what's good about it. It's really good. It's really good. Okay, because because Lee is a self uh, described nerd. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, nerd of many things. Whiskey being one of them. <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't even mentioning the whiskey. Yeah. But here's the thing I like about it, and I don't know if maybe a lot of like really nicer, you know, upper echelon whiskeys do this, but you can actually read a lot. Like there's there's a note from Rob Dietrich about it. Yeah. There's a note from uh, Wes Henderson himself. A note from Kirk Hammett. Oh, there's a note from Kirk. Well, I was curious about the whiskey part of it. It's like, uh, you know, how many of these guys are actually drinking the whiskey? You know what I mean? Like, we know that. Well, obviously, James, James isn't. probably is not. Right. I, and, you know, <laughs> Kirk says, we don't do anything halfway. We partner with our co-founder, the late great. Oh, this is old stuff. This is him talking about partnering with Dave Pickrow to bring you our badass original blend, now helmed by the amazing Rob Dietrich from the Willet Distillery, which Willet, big whiskey for yep. the muckety mucks out there. Mm -hmm. The note from Wes, didn't think I'd be working on another whiskey so soon after my retirement, but I couldn't pass this up. Co-founder and former chief innovation officer of Angels Envy, which that rings a bell for you? Yes. 
and I'm sure it will for most of our listeners out there who know about this world. As yep. a close friend of Dave's, I've been watching Blacken for a while now. I've been impressed with Rob, the team, and what they've created. An incredible experience getting to work closely with Rob, compare palettes, and use our respective skill sets and cask finishing to develop the flavor. Because this is... Okay, what's unique about this? I was trying to find it earlier. They're finished in wine port wine casks. Yep. So what does that mean? Does that mean like the wine, the flavor of port is imbued into the yeah? So whiskey? when you when you say that a whiskey is a, is finished in a different cast, so it, everything gets aged, for, you know, for the long haul, whatever the long haul is in a in, 25, in, 30 in, minutes, in yeah. one barrel, right? <laughs> for you know several years or whatever. I'm not sure what they did with this, but then when you talk about finishing, they, they you take it from one barrel and put it in another barrel to sort of just like leave the essence of that on the end on the end of it. So when this says finished in uh, white port wine casks, they would take you know, cast that that originally had white port wine in it, and then um, for the last you know maybe a year of aging of the whiskey, they would put they would move it to the the port cask. So that for the last year of the aging of this whiskey, it's gotten a different um, a different flavor on it. They do this with a uh, sherry casks a lot, all different kinds of things. They, they do whiskey and uh, like uh, rum casks, all all different kinds of things. So it's like a it's like a it gives it a little. It's like the extra. You know the extra twenty percent, okay, of uniqueness on the top of it. So it's tasting notes on the nose are pear, raisin, cinnamon, and cigar box. Mm, yes, mm-hmm. and <laughs> quite. So the mm. nose, what is it? Okay, you, you break these. The, the nose, what does that mean when you sniff it? The nose is when you sniff it. Yeah. So if you're doing it, if you're doing it correctly, you're supposed to. Uh, I'm going to do it correctly right now. <laughs> so you're supposed to have your mouth open and then put it up to your nose and just and breathe in with your nose and your mouth at the same time. Hmm. Right, so that so whatever you get there, that's that's technically the nose. Pear, raisin, cinnamon, and cigar box. Yeah, totally. How do you put cigar box into this? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I haven't sniffed the inside of a cigar box recently, but I mean, but how would you, okay? Well, all right. And then the palate is the taste. I'm supposing. Yep. Which they're saying pear, honey, chipotle, cinnamon, yeah, vanilla, sure, barn hay, and <laughs> walnut. Look, I think some of this tasting stuff is fucking ridiculous. I'm not. I'm not a. Uh, you know, there you can you listen to sommeliers talk about wine and stuff. Yeah. They give you like, oh yes, mm. yeah, totally. Uh, but uh, I, I'm not that hardcore into it. But yeah, sure, yeah. So palate is what what you're tasting when the whiskey is still in your mouth on your tongue. So the finish, <laughs> I love how they describe the finish: beautiful, long, vicious finish. Long and vicious, sure. Um, I mean, and the finish is uh, what you're left with after you swallow. My kind of dumb assessment is every time I've had um, blackened, I've just really enjoyed it. To me, it's Easy to drink without yeah. any, because I, you know, I'm an Alabama boy. I grew up on Jack and Diet Coke. Yep. Or Jack and Coke. Jack mm-hmm. and Diane is what we called it occasionally. <laughs> right. I'm used to drinking kind of shitty whiskey with mixers. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mean, I kind of like it. Yeah. I kind of like Red Bull vodkas. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that says about me or my character, but. Nothing at all. But when There's I do have the nice. Most drink that way. <laughs> well, when I do have the nice stuff, I feel like I, I feel like I get it. Yeah. It tastes better than mm-hmm. what I normally drink. And I can drink it by itself like this. It's nice. Right. The trouble with good tasting smoother whiskeys is you can drink a lot of it before you know it. Right. And then before you know it, you're maybe not doing the most salient podcast. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I, and I'll say another another uh, note about this one is that it is, it is cask strength, which, um, which means so most of the whiskey, you buy a bottle of Jack Daniels. They didn't just pour. They didn't just dump the bottle in a barrel of Jack Daniels and that's the bottle. It goes through a process of being uh, diluted with water. Right. Um, to sort of maximize how much not only how much you're getting out of it but kind of the taste too so when you have a whiskey that is cast strength that means that it, it did come straight out of the barrel okay which means that it is a uh, higher proof than normal so 
this guy here, we've got 58.1% alcohol, so 116 proof, um, which is pretty strong. Okay. Off, off the top of my head, maybe a, you know your standard bottle of Jack Daniels is maybe 80 proof, something like that. Now, you, um, you told me before that you're more of a scotch man, scotch yes. whiskey. But oh, yeah. where, but as someone who knows more about the stuff, where does black and fall for you? Like, I want it to be great because I want what Metallica does to be great because I feel like they're in a weird way an extension of my own ego. Yeah, of course. But it turns out it actually is pretty good. Yeah, man, it, it really is. I, uh, I think, um, you know, I, Metallica. They've, they've. I, I love that they just try to just try weird shit. They're like, I don't yeah. know, what if we did whiskey? Sure. Yeah. And and they, I think they they do a pretty good job of having just like a a pretty pretty high bar of quality for just stuff that they collaborate on they so, tend to do it well when they yeah, do it yeah yeah um and and this is another i mean it's it's really good i have this is only my third so i've had the og standard old black and um which i thought was really good for what it was and then the the rye the lightning which um mm-hmm. i also thought was pretty good for what it was um not like incredible by any means but like worth what you pay for it it's i think it's i think it's really yeah good. what are they like 60 bucks yeah i think this one this one was between 60 and 80 i'm not sure it might have been closer to 80 just because of the the collaboration part of it but yeah the the standard i think the ride the lighting was it couldn't have been more than it's just now dawning on me that it was potentially rude of me to have put ice in the cups no uh it's all good it's actually i didn't say anything about it because it's actually good to do with the cash strength because of because the aforementioned uh of course i knew that because of of the aforementioned higher proof (laughs) um cash strength can be pretty harsh to the uh to the palate by itself so um it actually Tastes great with a little bit of ice in it. It's awesome. The proprietary black noise sonic enhancement mm-hmm. process. So, all right. So let's get into, you know, I will have put in the show notes, you know, how we met. You are a tour manager for an artist that I love that I've known for a long time named Mitchell Tenpenny. Yeah. Crushing it out in the world. You were doing shows at high levels and you were, I mean, the tour managing job has got to be, it's got to be the hardest one of everyone on the road. I, I, I wouldn't go that far necessarily. Everybody's got their own. I mean, there's, hard stuff about every, but you every just part have your gig, fingers in everything. Yeah. It's sort of, um, it's sort of about keeping the, keeping the train on the rails and, yeah. and making sure the, making sure everybody's uh, moving forward and getting where they need to go. Right. Picking your spots to dip in when something needs to be addressed and keeping everybody on the same, on the same page. It's uh definitely the most responsibility. I mean, other than, you know, being like the, if your if your name's on the marquee, that's right. the biggest responsibility, right? But, totally. Uh, <laughs> It'll all fall on the artist no matter what, yeah. but so much of, artist success is dependent upon things you can't see tour managing being a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, to tie it down to a pretty basic level, it's, um, you know, if you don't, you can't play the show, if you don't make it to the show. Yeah. Um, and I, I sort of view it as just sort of making the shows happen in, in, uh, in the least shitty way possible or like totally making sure everybody gets where they need to be in the most comfortable, least shitty way possible. You, you and Ethan have talked a ton about what, what life is like on yeah. the road. Yeah. You know how, you know, those, those travel days can be, can be pretty crazy and stuff yeah. like that. That's, that's part of it. It's just making sure that that situation is, uh, cause be, touring a big part of it is traveling, right? So oh, big time. Um, so just trying to make that as the least painful as possible. You're only on stage for an hour, right? Or two. <laughs> yeah. And everything else is, everything uh, else is logistics. I mean, yeah. Getting there, setting up, making the show go, making sure the band's cool. The artist is cool. The promoter's cool catering's fine that everyone's happy and safe and healthy and yeah this guy's got a dietary restriction this guy needs to get to a gym this guy's got oh he's from uh, davenport iowa so his family needs to come yeah, oh, his, yeah. but his grandmother's in a wheelchair and mm-hmm. like these are all <laughs> things that get funneled to you yep you know and so yeah. i think really special people who do the job well are like uniquely outfitted to multitask not get overwhelmed keep a cool head 
Because I've worked with tour managers that did a good job, but they were so frazzled by the process right. that it didn't really work. Right. And then I've had tour managers that were like really cool and calm, but the work wasn't getting done. Mm-hmm. So yep. that balance. And also, the, here's the most fascinating balance. I want to get your opinion about this. The most fascinating balance I've always witnessed with tour managers is you have to be the kind of person that is going to inspire like a, a venue person or a venue staff or a promoter to like want to help you and right. work with you. Right. But you also have to be a guy that's not going to take shit. Yep. And that is one of the most fascinating needles to thread, I think, in the touring industry because a band guy can be kind of an aloof band guy. I'm mm-hmm. the band guy or the artist. Yeah, right. At the end of the day, as long as you get on stage and play guitar. Yeah, we're, we're almost you know. expected to not <laughs> be that serious about it. Yeah. And as you and I know, to be at the level we're at, you can't not be serious about it. That's kind of a myth of it. But sure. the tour manager's got to be a hard ass, but also someone that inspires you to collaborate. Yeah, I'm the first. As far as um, everybody uh, everybody that's not in our camp is concerned, like I'm the first point of contact or the first, like I'm the you know, between me and the production manager, it's like the two of us are like the the two people that are interfacing with the venues. Um, so you have to be good at showing up every day and working with different kinds of people. It's it's not like you're working with people and having that you have a relationship with is one thing, but working with people that you just met that day or maybe had a thirty minute phone call with, right. you know, is a whole different thing. So, and that um, might be someone you're building a relationship with because sure. you might be coming through that venue or it might be a promoter that. Rep that works for the next bigger up venue that you might be playing. Right. And from an artist perspective, I just was talking to my girlfriend about this, my girlfriend, Sarah, who's wonderful. She was just the, uh, the head of credentials for CMA fest in Nashville, biggest event that happens in Nashville. Huge. Um, I think she said she ended up being responsible for 20,000 credentials, oh, God. which is <laughs> insane. Right. So she's, and what Lee means by that is every band, every artist, every presenter needs to have what I'm sure we're, a vast array of different levels of credentials, meaning this person's credentials may be yellow and have a certain decal on it and they can get as far as catering. This person may have an all access, which means everything. Right. So she's managing, yeah, the biggest week of music and country music in Nashville Mm -hmm. because it's, it shows all throughout the city. It shows at Nissan stadium. They're all packed and she's basically in charge of, Making yeah. sure everybody can go where they and can it's go. not just shows at Nissan Stadium. It's uh, they have uh, you know six or seven stages set up around downtown right. with a whole different with a whole different thing. So yeah. um, it's a lot. So I br- I bring that up to say just today she was telling me that there was uh, a, a certain artist that I, that I, of course will not name, but their tour manager was a was a dickhead to her. So now that's the story of him. Yeah. So now hey. if for anybody that she talks to, yeah. you know, it's like oh yeah, that guy's tour manager was a dickhead to me, and it reflects. In, even, at least indirectly on the artist that you yeah, work for. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It totally Cause, does. Because someone may say, oh, I, I love, uh, you know, John Smith band, but their tour manager is a shithead. Yeah. I mean, well, this well, this artist in particular, um, every time that I've been around this person, they've mm-hmm. been uh, awesome, like right. the coolest person ever. Yeah. But, you know, all it takes is, you know, you, if, you, if, you, if you come into it set up that like, it doesn't matter how cool the artist is, if you're a person who's working in the industry and you're working on something and, and somebody who represents them was a dickhead to you, then that, has no, there's no option but to, for that to color your opinion of the whole yeah. enterprise. So I, I take that responsibility um, seriously. I mean, you know, if I'm, I'm, walk, I'm walking into a venue, I'm an extension of Mitchell Tenpenny. Absolutely. So um, I have to factor that into every conversation that I have and in, in the way that I conduct myself. So let's take an average day, because I think our listeners would be curious. Let's take an average Mitchell Tenpenny headlining show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the rhyming out of it because that's unique because hometownish show for him and families yep. involved. But oh, like, yeah. let's say Mitchell's headlining, you know, uh, Irving Plaza in New York City mm-hmm. or Webster Hall or whatever, you know, he's playing big venues, the Beacon Theater. 
What's a day like for you? What time are you getting up and what's on your plate for a normal show day? Um, well, thankfully, there's some tour managers that are very much uh, micromanagers. I'm not like that. I kind of like you got to, a good team. Yeah. And that that helps because um, I can sort of I trust people to do their job. You know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. have to I don't have to constantly be micromanaging things. But um, I mean, a normal day, uh, wake up, wake up in my bunk, get up, drink coffee. Um, once I feel like, uh, like I'm some semblance of a human being mm-hmm. walk into the venue, see what the situation is. And you're up usually before most people, right? Uh, before, before, yeah, before most people, before anybody else on, on my bus usually, cause I'm Mitchell in the band. Yeah. Most of the time I, you know, I try to be up around, I try to make it out around the same time as when load in starts. Usually I don't have to be too, um, I don't have to attend to like load in cause our production manager is great and those yeah. guys know what they're doing and they kind of take care of it. So thankfully I can, I can rely on them to, to do their job. So, um, normally I'm walking into the venue, I'll check in on, make sure like load in is happening and there's no fires to put out. Uh, like for example, we did a show in the middle of a, a field in Nebraska last week and, you know, and we show up and, and the, the stage is down a hill from where the bus is parked and, when they advanced, nobody said anything about detaching the trailer from the bus. So that, so then it's like, oh yeah, well that's the only way to load in is you detach the trailer from the bus. So like, that's a whole process. There's no cross load option. No, and then you get down there, and then and then there's no there's no forklift. Even though you know our advance says that you know we need to be able to move this much, you know, gear weighing this much. So if that has to happen, if it's not an easily accessible place, we need a forklift to get it there. And, um, you know, these, these nice people in Nebraska, they were like, well, we were just going to put it on the back of a truck and drive it over there in the middle of the field. I've been there. And it's like, yeah, that's not really how it works, man. (laughs) You know, this, the, like, you know, Nick's, you know, running his front of house console. It's like a spaceship, you know, there's, it's it's like, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff. You can't just put it in the back of a truck. And cause you guys are at a level where, which I know you guys recently were able to level up to two buses. Congrats. That's for, for for the level of touring that even Morgan's at, you know, like, Getting to two buses is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, it's a it's a huge hurdle to overcome. It's yeah. really, I think it's almost like once you get from one bus to two buses, whatever that next jump is, is I think easier than the oh, first yeah, jump. Oh yeah, it is. It is. Like the guys that go from two to like four buses or seven buses and then three semis, that first jump to that second bus, mm-hmm. what, does, what it means for how your career is progressing right. is more significant. Yeah, there's a couple hurdles, right? It's like when you go from a van to a bus, then right. you go from a bus to two buses, and then after that, it's all kind of, you know, it's all it's all easier after that. Yeah, and we went from twelve dudes in one bus to thirteen to fourteen dudes in, in two buses, yeah. which is a, a huge, you're huge, loving it, huh? Huge thing, oh yeah, yeah, condo bunks, baby. So you're out there. Oh God, I know. I believe <laughs> me, I know. So day starts checking in on load in and making sure there's nothing that needs to be, you know, addressed or handled there. And then finding whoever my contact is, making making contact, doing the handshake, um, mm-hmm. you know, doing the quick run over, run through of the day, mm-hmm. making sure we're on the same page of how things need to be held. Sometimes there's uh, creden- extra credentials to grab. Sometimes there's meal tickets and stuff like that. Bus drivers need to get to their hotel rooms. That's that's a, an early on thing to, yep. to figure out. Are there runners or yeah? Uh, do you need to do a security briefing? Yeah, I gotta imagine for you, showtime is like you feel like there's maybe. You get show going when the show's going because I've actually talked to you at some of these shows. Yeah, where once you get your boys playing and they're doing their sure. thing and they're crushing it, you're kind of like, yeah, I can chill for a minute. Yeah, once you get to once you get the song two and nothing's exploded, <laughs> exactly. you know, then you're like, okay, all right, that's like that's kind of the first the first uh, exhale, you know. Yeah, I thankfully don't have too many huge responsibilities during the show, so yeah. I try to make it out to front of house and just and watch the show as a yeah you know person enjoying watching the show um, as often as I can. I have big, big responsibility of uh, taking shots up on stage at, at particular intervals. You know, that's a that's a huge part of the gig. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> do you take the shots too? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You know, that's a fun moment. We're all, we're all in it together. I've seen you guys do that, and uh, it's a fun moment. Yeah. You know. I mean, you, there's you know sometimes. You know, I just just the other day, um, Mitchell was like, "I think it's a two shot show." <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. Been there. Where so, were we? Were we in a? Where we were somewhere in Colorado where we were on the same bill? Yeah. And I did yeah, the shots. With, I did the shots with you somewhere. I I don't particular. I don't remember that specifically, but that's awesome. Or you brought I, some I probably, to us I probably brought you backstage. Yeah, yeah I know. probably did that. Yeah. <laughs> we enjoy the uh, the ritual of the shot, right? It's not about yeah. it's not about what you're doing. It's just about just like you know, we just cheers the whiskey. Absolutely. We're doing a thing together. Here, Absolutely. Here's the acknowledgement of that. I mean, I've got friends that are touring at a high level that the, the taking shots and drinking is a big part of the aesthetic and the fun mm-hmm. of it. But I know for a fact that some of those guys got water in the solo cups. Yeah, right. Because because actually getting fucked up doesn't work. Yeah. Right. No, yeah, you can't. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you it, can't do it. <laughs> yeah. You, people, people, plenty of people have done it, but yeah, you, uh, you can't. I uh, guess you kind of technically can. Yeah, you can. It's not a good uh, show. It's usually not the best for the for everybody else involved. So we met on the road. We were doing a show with Luke Combs. Shout out to our friends in the Luke Combs camp. One of the most tightly run camps I've ever seen. Yeah, I just they're, really they're great. Loved it. I mean, they're great. They're great. That's the exact way to put it. And we were early in the bill, and it was for the four stadium shows. And there was someone else on the bill who pulled out. Mitchell Tinpenny came in last minute to yep. save the day. Yep, and crushed it. Two days notice. <laughs> so I, I, I can talk about that from a tour manager's perspective. Because you were on your own tour. Right? Yeah, we, we had our own thing going on. It's uh, the show's on. I believe the show's on a Friday. We get a call on Wednesday, or it's like it's like eight p.m. on a Wednesday. And uh, Kristen, who's Mitchell's manager, texts our group that, and she's like, "Hey, uh, Zach Bryan had to drop out of this Luke Combs oh, show. Zach, that's right. There's a there's a chance that that you know we could get the offer. Do you want to do it?" So we have the phone call, and then so that the the logistical issue is we have to be in Panama City Beach, Florida, on Saturday, and and then the show is in Seattle, Washington, on Friday. Oh, it was Seattle. That's yeah. right. Seahawks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so obviously Jeez, couldn't uh, be further know, away if, you, if you're brushed up on your second grade geography. <laughs> couldn't be further away. Uh, yeah, it's about as far away as you. One's can in get. this corner. <laughs> yeah. One's in this corner. It's about as far away as you can get while still being in the country. So you know that's not an easy thing to do, right? So, um, so the first thing is like, well, I got to figure out if we can physically make it there. So you know, I hop on the old kayak.com, start right. looking at flights, and there's and that there's, falls on you, like to logistically sort of make it make sense. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I, I know you guys have talked about booking and stuff like that, but you know, I'm not I'm not booking any of the shows. But once the shows get booked, that list of like here's what we're doing gets right. sent to me, sent to me, and then it's my responsibility to Damn, that's a lot to make sure we we get there. So, um, and I've helped. You know, I've we have a travel agent that we use and stuff like that. I'm not I'm not booking every single flight and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But for situations like this, you know, it's 8 p.m. on a Wednesday. I have to I'm I'm in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's one Delta flight that you know is, is a red eye from Seattle. It had like 16 seats on it when I'm looking at it, and I need. 11 of those seats or whatever. So I was like, well, there's one flight that makes it logistically possible for us to do the show. Red eyes are um, brutal. For those of you who don't know what a red eye is, it's a flight through the night. Yeah. Yeah. So we're flying from, you know, we take off at 11 PM, Seattle, Washington landed. It wasn't a direct flight to Panama city beach. Of course, I think we flew to Atlanta. So, you know, you take off 11 PM in Seattle, Atlanta's three hours later in the, in the time zone. So yeah. you landed 6 AM in Atlanta or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, get your get your ass up and on a on a different flight and then we're of course because it's last minute we're in middle seats and stuff like that and that's, that's a whole different thing horrible flights uncomfortable so and then what and then you got to deal with gear getting the trucks or the bus there yeah right so so that's that's the first thing is, is figuring out can our bodies physically make it and then you worry about everything else right so right. um so yeah so we get the, we call back and i'm like yeah we can physically do it if we if we're in we're in and Mitchell was like you know fuck yeah let's go do it play a stadium you know of course so we got it so sure enough you know booked the flights got in thursday night 
had to figure out backline and gear and stuff like that because we could get our bodies there, but not our equipment because you know that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The equipment had to be in Florida so we could get through the the Luke Holmes show with uh, renting gear and been borrowing stuff from Luke Holmes guys. They made it as easy for Which us again, as you can possibly do. Great so, camp, yeah, generous. They're 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 awesome. They're one of the one of the best out there. Um, a yeah. pleasure to work with. You did more with them than than I have, but um. You know, the, best, the best ones we did, not show-wise, we had some of our worst shows um, for reasons that didn't have anything to do with the band. Mm. But the best gig was the the Banger main gig. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had, a great, we had a good time with that oh one. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, this is not every show, but this was like kind of an outside amphitheater-ish thing. And the, the backstage area was like a playground for adults. Yep. Very comfortable catering dressing rooms, and then after the show is a big party. Yeah, there, there are certain venues that have a reputation for trying to take care of the band and crew guys. Yeah, and uh, they're trying to make that part of their thing, which is which is awesome. How fun were those? And we had and we had a walk away. So fun, yeah. So two shows in a two row. So you just row. you don't have to go anywhere. You Woo! have a, you have a night to hang out. You don't have to pack up all your shit as long as you can walk to else. your bus yeah if you can make it to your bunk, <laughs> you know. You know what's funny about that is I think I, just because of whatever else is going on. I think I bagged out pretty early on both nights. I don't yeah. think I made it too far. Well, I mean, it's also an opportunity to uh, to like actually catch you know, up, sleep if you want to, you know, and cr- imagine that. Yeah, because uh, you know everybody's got their own. You know, I remember on you know, the the touring AMA thing you did. You guys talked about sleeping in the bunks, and Ethan said he sleeps better in the bunk and all that stuff. I I don't, but but if you're if you're not moving, um, it's a great opportunity to uh, to actually catch up on. You sleep, know, so. you know what I've realized about myself in this last run we did is I get my best sleep when the bus stops rolling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's when I actually feel like I start sleeping. Yeah. And you know, sometimes that's not until seven, eight in the morning. Mm-hmm. And you got to be up at whatever ten. Or- yeah, Mitchell Mitchell said that recently too. There's a recently um, another country artist Hardy had a bus flip, mm. um, and everybody's okay. Holy shit! Recently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean it was probably six months ago now. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, that that a bus completely completely flip. I, I don't remember exactly <sighs> what happened, um, but I think that the driver had a medical had an issue, you know, and God. ran off the road, and, and no one got hurt. I mean, they got they got up. they got banged up, but yeah. but everybody's fine you know no, no like long long term um yeah you feel that rumble strip and i'm a bottom bunk guy and you feel yep. that rumble strip and you go well is this it yeah right yeah right you never know i yeah. mean i've really thought like well i'm just waiting to feel the free fall because i always imagine this is a horrible thing to i don't want to give you any more ideas you may not need but <laughs> i always imagine that we've gone off a thing so i feel the rumble strips and then i just wait for that oh yeah no i don't like the living on the edge video yeah, yeah, yeah. your free fall <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, <laughs> I haven't thought You're about welcome. that. You're welcome. Don't you. tell yeah. Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, great. But uh, Mitchell said that ever ever since that happened to Hardy, he's like, I don't know what it is, if it's just in the back of my head or something, yeah. but it's like sleeping on the bus has been rough. Yeah, and you go through waves where you get a little more comfortable with it. And, you know, I've been yeah. trying not to like medicate as much on the tour. So, right. I mean, you can sleep better if you just drink the blackout every night, but I'm not, you yeah, know, sure. I want to feel good every day. Sure. I mean, yeah, you may, you may, you may fall asleep and stay asleep, but that's not, that's not really good sleep. Oh, you know, hell you don't no. wake up feeling like, oh, yeah. So we met on that show that you, yeah, you, so, you you magically made all it work. Right. So we come in, we come in on, uh, we get in there Thursday night. Uh, we come in Friday morning, get in there bright and early. Um, yeah. Everybody's as happens with stadium shows, like with uh, Luke Combs and Metallica and whoever else they're, they're there for days ahead of time. You can't just put the whole stadium set up. You can't uh, go from zero to, yeah. to the stage in a day. So yeah. you're there days ahead of time. So uh, yes, yeah, so we get in bright and early on Friday. I put on my Metallica shirt. And uh, I remember walking in for some, I don't know, I don't know if it was you guys or if, who it was, but somebody was playing uh, Freight Ends of Sanity on the PA. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that was us. <laughs> and I was like, let's go. Yeah. That was a good start. Um, and, then I, and then I know um, a, a former, a former drummer that was with you at the time, Parker. Mm-hmm. And um, 
he sees me wearing my, my, my Metallica shirt and he's like, oh, you need to meet these guys. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. And, uh, and sure enough, I meet, I meet uh, you and Ethan. And, and it's like, oh yeah, we have a Metallica podcast. I'm like, oh shit, Metallica podcast. I hadn't even like considered looking up a Metallica podcast yeah. or like that being a part of my like my deal. I think we did the um, thing with you too. We were like, all right, we're going to ask you. Yeah, you gave me the rundown. The three quick. questions. I, was, I wasn't like prepared for that because obviously I'm I'm coming in pretty hot on because there's some the questions. Stuff. There's a question, a few questions you can ask where as soon as you answer them, you kind of get a sense. So it's like, yeah, Clifford Jason. What do you think about load and reload? What yeah. do you think about Saint Anger? Yeah, you know, yeah. I can't remember what your answers were. I, um, I remember. I remember. Here's what I remember about you. I remember whatever the answers were. I was like, oh, he's really he really knows it. He's really into it. Mm. I'm glad I gave that impression. Yeah. And um, I think it was even then where we were like, oh, you actually really should check the podcast out. Yeah. yeah no, you really you did, would yeah. like it. Yeah. You did. You did tell me that. You told me about the, about the discord and everything. And I was yeah. like, all right, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, I was, a, I was a patron the next day. That's right. Um, so cool. So, yeah. I mean, just to, you know, I don't know. Load and reload are awesome. If you don't think they're awesome, <laughs> then that's fine. But you're wrong. The other uh, Denver show that we were at together, you were wearing your load shirt. Yeah, I, I, I wore it for you. Because we were coming there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I knew I'd be seeing you that day. And Dude, I was like, yeah, so well, load, load shirt for Clint. That's so funny. That's how I met you guys, which is which is awesome. And uh, and and just a, another note about that is like, I've been, I have, uh, I haven't done the count. Uh, my girlfriend makes fun of me all the time. She says our whole closet is Metallica shirts. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how many I have. We're, we're probably north of 40, maybe south of 50, something like that. You're um, a legit fan, which yeah. by the way, uh, I can't wait to meet Sarah. So Sarah's coming over to the house. Yeah, she's awesome. After this, we were watching game five of the fi- NBA finals because guess what else Lee is? A hooper. He likes yeah. the hoops. Yeah. So we're going to watch like hopefully. Pelicans fan, unfortunately. Pels fan, of course. Yeah. Got my got my Zion ones on right now because they, they go with the Ride the Lightning shirt. <sighs> yeah, he's going to, he's in some weird shit. Oh yeah, that's that's a different podcast. <laughs> Woo, buddy. I tell you what though, <laughs> when the Pelicans are strong, like when he's healthy and CJ McCollum are healthy. Yeah. They were one of the most fun teams in the NBA. I know. I mean, there was there was a great uh, two week period where we were number one in the West. <laughs> <laughs> I allowed myself to get excited about it, and then of course, I know, you know it all comes crashing down. So anyway, I think that's one of the reasons that you and I have endured because we we meet a lot of people on yeah. tours. We hop on and off tours, and we're opening for people. And but I think one of the reasons you and I really connected because we've hung out outside of work, you know, mm-hmm. is uh, obviously our love of Metallica. I think you and I, I think we just had a bond. Yeah, and then we like to hoop. You know, we like to talk basketball. So Obviously. I'm excited to watch this game tonight. Yeah, me too. And so I think people are getting a sense of your credentials because what we're going to do today, we're going to be checking out the Zane Lowe, which Zane Lowe is kind of a masterful interviewer. Yeah, he's he's great. He sat with the boys in one of their stadium shows, and he's broken down the show. And one of the reasons I thought this is such a great idea to have you is because a you're a huge Metallica fan. You know what it's like to do this job. So like when you and I look at this, I mean when we were kids. Uh, it may as well have been another universe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The weird thing about what we do and have been doing it at the level we've been doing it for as long as we have is like we see that world and we go, oh, yeah. I mean, I know exactly yeah. what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's a high level. It's my favorite band. Yeah. And that's weird in a way. Right. But we know what's going on. So you're yeah. going to help basically shed some light on it. But right before we do that, what's your quick Metallica story? How did you get into the band? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I grew up um, right outside of New Orleans. Obviously, a lot of music uh, going on Good there. Zion. A lot, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, um, not the. I, I didn't have the most musical family, but there was music in my family. Like my my mom's sister and her husband are, are amazing uh, jazz musicians. They did that in New Orleans for a long time. So that Beautiful. was like kind of part of the part of the DNA. I had an eclectic relationship with with music. My dad was rock and roll guy. Mm-hmm. Beatles, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, 
Yeah. And then in even like the early nineties, grunge stuff, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, that's this kind of stuff that my dad was listening to. Awesome. And Sounds then, like uh, a great guy. Uh, Frank, Frank's the man. Frank. And then uh, my mom's more into uh, Billy Joel, James Taylor, you know, stuff like that. So that's, um, I, I had a pretty beautiful then, counterpoint to that yeah, stuff. Yeah. 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 It all, it all kind of worked out to spit me out. But, um, that like what made me start playing guitar is, is Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. It's kind of like once I, became old enough to figure that out. I was like, Oh, who played you? Was your dad that played you that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I had the same deal. Like it was my, I don't know. I would have eventually found it for sure. Right. But it really is our dads or like older brothers right. that are like, I mean, I remember my dad yeah. put handing me paranoid <laughs> right. and being like, you sh- I mean, if you're playing guitar, I mean, you, yeah. you, know, you just, and he didn't even give me further instruction. Right. He was just like, you should just check it out. Yeah. 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 I didn't get, I didn't get any particular instruction from my dad either. You know, it's just kind of, I was just, just, it's just I remember like going through his CDs like you yeah. know, back in the day we had the giant CD booklets right oh so yeah Case I'm looking through yeah and then we're like oh yeah it was like a twelve disc Led Zeppelin box set like mm. let's look at this and yeah and and uh, he's not a huge Metallica fan but he does he's like he's a Black Album he likes the Black Album you know like most people who aren't like hardcore Metallica totally. fans are like oh yeah I understand that's man. the one my wife knows Sick. right that's, that's the best way to put it my wife knows what nothing else matters is right that tells you everything you need to know yeah right about <laughs> how amazingly wide reaching that album yeah, is incredible and they and she likes it. Right. That's, and that's what tells you everything you know about how much they commercially could reach into the lives of people. Right. Right. Because my wife doesn't lot like aggressive music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sarah, yeah. So Sarah, Sarah's kind of the same way. She's a, she, she like, she's rock and roll. Her favorite bands are Van Halen and Queen and yeah. um, stuff like that. Her dad was in a rock band. So yeah. So Metallica was just sort of like out there. It's never like a, I, and I honestly don't even remember the moment where I was like, oh yeah, this shit is awesome. Did you see it on um, MTV or did you? Yeah, I have, I have. I've got vague memories of you know the King Nothing and Until It Sleeps videos on MTV. Well, because how old are like you? That. I'm I'm 32, 30, 33 on Saturday. Okay, cool. So yeah, that that helps. So you you're you're even more of a '90s kid than me. You're coming into where yeah, and that when Load and Reload are on MTV, how old are you? Yeah, six six to eight. You know, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Totally. Um, so I I have like you know I've got those in the brain. They're burned and then, in. Uh, uh, since you mentioned MTV, have you, have you guys talked about MTV icon Metallica? Oh, we yeah. An episode about yeah, that. Yeah, we did. I was thinking about that recently. It's just like, what an awesome time capsule. Dude. It's like the, the bands that were on that thing. Yeah, we time. did. Incredible. I shit. mean, we don't even have to talk about the episode. I remember who I was. I remember watching it, staying yeah. up to watch it and being, you know, I was very snobby at that time. Right. So I remember just being like, Jesus the, Christ, Clint Biscuit and Corn. Yeah. I actually d- gave it up for Avril Lavigne. I mean, I thought Lavigne had more cred than those bands. Right. Uh, uh, upon so, a, upon reevaluating that, though, um, Limp Biscuit did a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I haven't gone back and watched it in a long time. I, I, that would be a good thing for me to, to do one of these the, nights. The, here was the biggest revelation out. of that performance: is first of all, I was always a Newstead guy, so that was the that was Rob's coming out party. Okay. to the fans. I don't I don't remember that being, and I remember being just a little sense. like standoffish about rob right like i don't know if he looks the yeah. part and then the whole thing was they were going to play a new song and right. they played frantic while the credits rolling and oh, i remember shit, just I as remember the credits part. rolled being so confused <laughs> about the material <laughs> the experience yeah you know yeah you i mean you were you were older than i was at that point what i mean what year was that 2000 that would have been 2002, 2002 or three right two or three and so yeah i was 18 19 yeah i was 12 13 so yeah, I'd probably had a few more years of being a total snob. Right, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten there yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hadn't figured it out yet. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't figured out that saying anger sucks yet. Uh, <laughs> Where do so, you stand on it now? So you know, I started playing guitar, and then obviously, once you're playing guitar, it's, it's off to the races. And once you figure out, and once you, once you totally. play, once you learn how to play, Anderson Sandman, you're like, oh yeah, it's over. It's Bell, over you get bells over. under your fingers, <laughs> yeah, Sandman. And then you, 
yeah, you climb the mountain and you you know you climb it and you hit puppets and then right. things start opening and right. So I, I know I've heard you talk about your theory of being thirteen years old and yes. everything you think is cool at thirteen is what you still think is cool. Yeah, is that true for you? Um, well, Saint Anger came out when I was thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the one exception in all of rock music. <laughs> I know, right? I was like, okay, great. So some early some early Metallica stuff for me was was watching some kind of monster mm-hmm. and and listening to Saint Anger, you know, which was like a which was like a really kind of a mind fuck looking yes. back on it because yes. like if that's like one of your first metallica experiences like what the fuck is that hard to imagine um so you know i remember at the time and because i was still i was into i'd done a pretty good job of like i listened to all the other stuff you know i was i, was, I think at that point you know ride the lightning was like my like my my jam at that point um is that still so your then, favorite I, I don't know man i don't i don't i try not to get too caught up in the because my the, image of you is ranking. is in a lightning shirt which you're wearing well, today Perfect. I feel like I've seen you wear it more than any other one. Perfect. It's here. It's it's uh it's on tape. Uh, we can say on canon. Uh, my 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 album is Ride the Lightning. Let's okay. just go with that. Um, mine too. That's my number one. Um, wow, even more than Load. Yeah. Well, you know, I have I'll have to reevaluate. But <laughs> yeah, sure. Lightning's number one. Reload's probably two. Cool. I get it. Um, how many people just turned off the? <laughs> yeah, right. Then we just fine. Lost, just lost whatever. Hey, at least I'm not talking about Dave Matthews yet. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is the f- long. They we're 39 minutes in. This is the longest I've ever gone without talking about Dave. That's Matthews. incredible. I'm so proud of you. You did it, dude. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't have much to add to the Dave Matthews conversation. So we're probably safe. On a that lot here. of people don't, which is fine. So saying anger comes out, and I remember listening to it and being like, I mean, like it's new. It's the first new Metallica record that I that I you know have consciousness of, right? So that's something. Yeah. But no, I mean, you know, I listened to it for a year or so, and then, you know, I've maybe listened to it 10 times since then. I've bounced off of it pretty hard, yeah. pretty hard immediately. I was like, this, I pretty immediately, even at 13, I was like, this is not as good as Master of Puppets. Yeah. Because uh, obviously it's it's not. Um, so then a year later, so 2004 was my first Metallica show. Uh, my dad, again, Frank, you're the best. Birthday present. They played in New Orleans on the Madly and Anger with the World Tour. And uh, birthday present took a bunch of my friends that was a stadium tour right they it was played it, the it, was, it was arena it was okay. arena. so it was the 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 home of the pelicans the smoothie yeah. king arena at the time it was called the i believe it was just called the new orleans arena God, but the um, fucking smoothie king yeah now it's yeah, horrible the blender baby horrible the blender <laughs> so madly and anger with the world tour that was a good um, tour though it was and the set the set list was really cool and, and and even then even then i was like well they the only song they played off of saint anger is saint anger yeah uh and that kind of tells you all you need to know right um, man i agree it's like they weren't it's like they it's almost like they immediately were didn't, about didn't it. believe in it. Yeah. You know? So that was a, uh, and that was my first arena. That was my first arena show. I'd been to a couple other like local, you know, shows. I was into like the pop punk thing and the emo thing at the time and all that stuff too. But that that was my first like real show, and I I caught the bug pretty hard at that point. I was like that kind of solidified. It. I was like, oh yeah, like Metallica is like my, this is my band. Um, yeah. caught a James Hetfield pick, legit. Whoa, um, two thousand four. Yeah. Yep. They uh, at that time they had they had picks. Uh, each one of them had their own picks. Yeah. Where they had like their initials or their signature on one side, and then like a uh, caricature, like a cartoonish cartoon thing yeah. face of them on the other side. So I caught James Hetfield's pick. It was, you know, had a green JH on one side, and then caricature picture of him on the other side. And then of course I I used it. Oh yeah. So um you know obviously yeah I didn't save it. So uh you yeah, know, yeah it's 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 to be used. Yeah right. I mean what, yeah I'm not gonna hold on to it. I'm gonna I'm gonna played for whom the bell tolls with Billy right? Howardell from a perfect circle. I somehow got on a rail and he tossed me a water bottle, like half drunk water bottle. Oh, nice. And I immediately poured it over my head. <laughs> there you go. And my friend was like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's good. I'm like, what am I going to keep his water? <laughs> yeah. Right. What are you going to do with that? I used it. Yeah. It was awesome. Right. It, it, and if it was <laughs> awesome to you in that moment, that's all you need. 
Uh, so yeah, so Madly Nigger with the World Tour that kind of solidified it, you know, playing guitar. But you know, I, I was in metal bands and stuff in high school, doing the thing. Yeah, and I, I've been a pretty, I've been a pretty big Metallica fan, like for that pretty much that whole time. Um, yeah, weird to have Saint Anger as sort of the base of it as like my first Metallica record, but I'm yeah. not one of those people that loves it. I mean, I, I, there are things to like about it because there's, you know, there's. There are worse records out there than Saint Anger for yeah. sure. Plenty worse of them. Worse, oh yeah, but you know, I'm not. I'm not. Listen, I'm not throwing on Dirty Window. Or- I think that you know, I've, I've arrived at this place with it where I, I really say this as like a badge of honor, like because I, I don't know who else is number one. It's the worst record ever made by a band as great as Metallica. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put. it. And it's such an interesting. It's an interesting framing. Right. And of course, that dude, I have days where I'm craving it. I have days where I'm like, put on Dirty Window, put on My World, put on Invisible Kid. I do not. They're rare. Yeah. yeah, they're rare. I have some days where I look at the set list and I'm like, I wouldn't mind seeing Dirty Window, you know? Right. Yeah. So I get that. That's, I see where all that goes. And then, uh, yeah, just, you know, seen them every time I could see them. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and here we are. Well, at this point, I think for all of us that are like keyed in and, and tuned in, especially with 72 seasons, which I know you and I were texting when the album came out, mm-hmm. how much we were enjoying it. Yeah. I think at this point, if you've enjoyed Metallica as long as we have, we're just grateful they're doing it. Yeah, at a high level, it's a celebration. Yeah, that's how I feel about seventy-two seasons. I'm just uh, more than anything, I'm just so happy it, it exists. Yeah, and as long as it's you know, as long as it's still good, if, I was going to be happy with it if it was anything better than Saint Anger. You know yeah, what I mean? as long <laughs> totally. Is if like if it was a if Metallica at this point, forty years into it, is putting out a good record, like fuck yeah dude. i texted you that i like it more than hardwired at that yeah. time you agreed do you still agree i do i and i, and I listened to hardwired again just to just to just to make sure yeah <laughs> and as, as a whole album experience i do yeah i mean cool. I, I don't like anything on 72 seasons as much as i like spit out the bone right but well that's been the know. common thing people would say the highs of hardwired yeah. aren't matched on 72 seasons right. but neither are the lows right. there's no murder one yeah on 72 seasons so yeah there's no spit out the bone or moth but there's no murder one or, or am i yeah. savage which again are songs i like yeah right no they're not bad 72 seasons is kind of like steady yep strong yep rewarding yeah powerful yeah uh, you know i like it it's great I, it's, it's awesome it's, it's a new metallica record it's, it's awesome, it's awesome. I, yeah. I i don't understand anybody that was expecting that would have it, the expectation of metallica like going outside the like changing changing it up or like yeah. putting out a masterpiece 40 years into it i mean there as you've said plenty of times there's no bands that do that that's just not no. a thing that exists out there it's hard to do in art yeah you know you you peak most people peak and then it gets bad metallica right. just kind of they've peaked they've had several peaks i think i think puppets yeah. was a peak black album was a peak and reload obviously <laughs> the back half of reload i think snm yeah. represents a peak yeah i agree you know um but Instead of them just getting bad, I think they just discovered where their power lies and they've just held on to it and kept it viable. Right. And they've done that by making their shows cool too. So we're going to get into this. I was going to read emails, but we're going to skip the emails. We've had some good talk. We're going to hear a Patreon commercial. And then we're going to dive in because I want to get Lee's thoughts on this. Now, I haven't seen it yet. We're going to watch together. We're going to have audio together. And you're going to kind of be the Sherpa. You're going to like guide the ship hey, a little bit I'm good. first I've, time I've, here i've seen it first time here guiding the ship so check out the patreon commercial if you're willing and able to support the show via patreon we of course love that if not no big deal tell a friend about it leave us a positive view on itunes and when we come back we're going to dig into this uh zane low m72 world tour behind the tour spotlight yeah whatever i said it all wrong all right be back in a second <laughs> Hey everyone, Clinton Ethan here, and we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. 
Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slang Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. So, Zane, yeah. you see our new toy? Oh, it's a new toy. Look at it, isn't it pretty? <laughs> isn't it a great new toy? It's a great new toy. You know what is, it, it is, it's so clean and so beautiful looking and to see the effort that your crew put into making it feel so compact given the size of it, kind of blows me away. It's, it's almost, an illusion. Somebody said the <laughs> other day that the stage that we played indoors on yeah. from 17 to 19 could fit in the snake pit. In the snake pit. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. A lot of the power of a Metallica show is concealed and left to you to bring the power. So I think about like what I would normally see at a rock show, the presence of amplifiers, chords, all those things. I'm trying to remember when you mm. first removed that. Goes back to the Black Album was the first time where we started kind of fucking with the concept and how can we do it do it differently um and on that tour there was a drum kit on either side uh subsequently i think on the remember that he would run to it oh yeah we had two stages uh one at either end of the arena with a drum kit on each of them and then san anger we had a stage that kind of spun around Death Magnetic, something else. I mean, we always loved toying with and fucking with the configuration. Mm. But when we've played indoors, uh, we've always loved to try to be in the in the middle of the arena. But then the opposite of that is when we played festivals or played stadiums or, or even smaller places or whatever, we'd be one end. So the whole thing is always about screwing with the configuration and always trying to play in a different setup. And not enough so the trenches, conversation yeah. is is had about the people that ensure that when you go on that stage, you get to do the best you can do without thinking about all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's unsung hero work. It's very much unsung hero work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from the first sketches of an idea of this toy, yeah. you know, uh, you know, d designing, practicality, sonically, visually, how does it all come together? You know, first of all, it is about the songs, mm -hmm. portraying the songs the best they can be possible. So PA, very important. Visuals in a big place like this, very important. And obviously our comfort on a stage and the place I think we feel most comfortable is as close as possible to the audience. Yeah. You know, our road crew, they're hanging out in, in, in the trenches around the outside, you know, it's like, where do you put these guys, yeah. you know? But the whole idea is to make this feel like an arena. 
I still look at this and, and think this is not a stadium. And wait till we get to America because the first thing that dawned upon me was that in America where we're playing basically all NFL stadiums, the sides are tighter yeah. because an NFL field is narrower than a European football pitch. So in all the American gigs that start in August, the sides are going to be kind of where that orange That's right. line is. So there's going to be a deeper sense of intimacy with the audience because it is more like a bowl, like where a lot of the European stadiums are more like this. I mean, the first thing I'm struck by when I see this thing is like, it, it's different. I mean, I, I can't remember ever seeing a, a stadium stage set up like that. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty wild. It's kind of like what they try to do like in halftime Super Bowl shows. Right. But it only faces one it only faces one way. Right. It's still kind of not this. Right. They really did do the in-the-round st- uh, arena thing. Right. And I guess the only way to really pull that off was to make the snake pit that big. Right. It, I, to me, it just strikes me as incredibly impressive uh, just as a, a feat of design and engineering. I mean, like as Lars said there with the with the American stadiums having a different dimension because there's a different sport played in, the, in that stadium. Yeah. Uh, you know, when they're designing this thing, you know, when you're I'm not, and I'm not super production guy, but I know enough about how it all works to at least have an idea. But when you're designing this stuff, you have to, it can't just fit in one thing. It's got to fit everywhere you go. So when, when in the very early sketching it out, like when you do this stuff, you have to make sure that you're not going to show up to some stadium and then be like, oh, fuck, the towers don't fit. When we talked to, we talked to the production manager for the World Wired tour and they were hanging those cubes. Mm-hmm. And it was me and Paul Moak got a tour of of the stage at Bridgestone. And they were saying uh, everything they're hanging weighs something. And certain arenas weren't designed to carry it. So Mm -hmm. to make sure that each venue could do the same thing, it's like tons of pre-production work. It's tons. And then there's like fire codes and what can they do with the pyro and the haze. And you're right. So for this, it's like we need to make this work on a football pitch in Europe. And then also, because I'm guessing, I mean, you think they're going to pare it down? For the U.S. football stadiums, or is this going to work in everything? I don't know. I mean, Lars, the way that Lars talks about it, he he says it's it's going to be the same thing, just narrower mm. um, on the sides. Do you think they're doing, and maybe they address it in this because I haven't seen this yet? Yeah, are they doing the thing where they have like two versions of it, and one's already moving ahead and setting Ooh, it up? That, they they do not address that. Um, there's probably enough time in between the shows that they don't do that because they're only um, doing two weeks. Yeah, they're basically doing walkaways every weekend right. or other weekend. Right. Um good so point. It's probably enough. There's probably enough time in between it, but yeah, that's a whole logistical thing to figure out is uh when you do stadium like it was like this with U2 for example in the yeah. 360 U2 where they had two two copies of it, so yeah. They would leapfrog it uh to get to the next place, but they're Metallica's doing so many fewer shows than that. True. Um, I think there's probably enough time to get it where it needs to go. And think about how much money it must save them to not have yeah. two rigs. Right. It was, it was an, I'm sure it was enough money to, to build this thing. Exactly. So I can't imagine having two of them. And, and they mentioned how clean it is. And that is impressive to me. Like, as you know, playing a million shows, mm-hmm. there's, there's cables and shit everywhere yeah. all the time. Yeah. And it's actually it's actually really hard to to not have that. It's, to just, have it's the really that difficult. Yeah. Especially when you're doing four drum kits i mean Man. you just think about it from drum kits every everything that everything that happens on stage has to be you know have a microphone or an amplifier so that you can hear what's actually happening so drum kits are the take up the most inputs you yeah know, you might you have 16 inputs on on a drum right. kit so if you got four of those every mic has to be set up the same for it to sound consistent you have to have all four drum kits have the same microphone set up in exactly the same way that that Lars is going to get on it and feel comfortable when he hits the drums. And it's all got to be dialed in 
And then you got to have it's a backup plan in case something goes wrong. Yeah. It, it's really impressive to like have that many things going on. And for the stage, they walk through it, you know, later in this, but there's like, there's no cables showing anywhere. Like you can't see a cable. I find it fascinating that there's a sense of this interview where Zane caught them. It almost seems like there was a preamble to this where they were maybe even seeing it for the first time, like right. fully set. Yeah. They, yeah. They may have like, this may have been a day where production rehearsal that evening with, you know, the band and crew and they're doing press, obviously, where like earlier in the day, they just get to do this interview. It's all it's all like I love the way this is shot too. It's very stylistically yeah. set up. It's great. It's a it's a beautiful shot of them with the stage in the background. I know what we expect, the ticket holders. We want the show of our lives. We want it to be the best show of the tour every single night, right? I wonder how you've kind of been able to manage that through a lifetime of expectation, taking that really mm. seriously every night. We want the same. We want the same. We're fans too. We're the four biggest fans of Metallica in the world sitting right here. Mm. We want it to be the best for us selfishly, mm. but also for the people who support us and the family, as we call them, come here and shake off the COVID or whatever they got yeah. you know, going on in their lives to come here. As you look out here, you see this is designed around the audience. <laughs> to get an audience in the middle, on the sides, and everywhere. They're a huge part of our show. Again, we get to look at them. They're the show for us. They're looking at us. You know, We get to watch wow. them do their thing and morph it's and really change cool. and hopefully leave happier than they came in. So let's get inside the experience then, seeing as how we're pre-experienced. That moment, the ecstasy of gold. I can only imagine what the fan feels when they hear that. You know, it's as our, our, our manager said, it's like a calling. It is. You know, when you yeah. hear that, it is. you know, it's it's revving up the engines, it you is. know. Metallica is imminent. Has that feeling changed for you pre-show when that music plays and you know the show's about to start? Is it the same sense of anxiety, excitement? Yeah, you know, it's a real mixture of emotions, but it's... It's always a huge shot of adrenaline, at least for myself. And, you know, I do have expectations yeah. for myself. Yeah. I, I need to fulfill, you know? And so for me, just like being in the moment and being totally present and just concentrating on doing the best I can is all I can do, yeah. you know? And yeah. it's all I ever really think about in those few moments when we're just about to walk out. It's about leaving something behind, mm. which is the day, the week, the month, whatever you've been carrying around and freeing yourself of that as you walk to the stage. And then the other thing is connecting, connecting with people, connecting with the other guys in the band. Yeah. At its, at its best, when it really works, it's a connection to each other and to the audience, breaking down those security barricades and doing away with those and becoming one. And the great thing about having the opportunity to do these type of configurations is that you maximize the potential for that connection because there's literally, mm. there's just more areas where more people can connect with band members and vice versa. Every show you strive for the best and you accept that some days are better than others. And it doesn't mean that anybody else will ever notice that. And if you're playing, you know, night one here and night two here on Saturday, you know, we may have a, thing or something with the monitors or somebody has a shittier day that it's harder for them to shake off or whatever. 
but 99% of the people that are here will obviously not be able to know mm. the difference between, you know, 110% and 105% or whatever. And sometimes you can even sit there and go, fuck, man, I'm fucking nailing it. And I'm in, you know, I'm in the most euphoric state possible. And then other days you're kind of at 80 or 90% and you're sitting there and you're going, fuck, I wish I was more in it or whatever. And then you come off stage or that show and people go, that's the best I've ever yeah, seen yeah, you yeah. play. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so right. So there's always those kind of contradictions in it. I really like all the, the, the talk about, uh, like Lars talking about connecting with the fans and that being like an important thing about what drives them. It's just like, to me, it's super cool that these 60 year old, you know, metal dudes are like, oh yeah, what drives us is like, connecting with human beings i was thinking when he was saying that i was thinking you know is lars my favorite member of the band? yeah uh-huh which james is always kind of the go-to but sometimes when i see lars talk that way mm-hmm. kind of say the right things in the right moment and still be interesting and have just the right idea all the time i'm like is he my favorite member yeah well that's that's the best thing about lars right is that he really is like he's the metallica fanboy he's like yeah because that's that, i mean that's his it's always that was his entry into it right yeah. it's just being such a big fan totally um it's just really cool to hear him talk about you know that they optimize the setup for connection yeah and that's just such a cool thing it's like i don't think a lot of people think that way especially especially in metal and rock world you know i don't think it could be really easy to not think that way or even um, think they're think having good thoughts like i mean we want the lights to look cool or we want to look cool or we want it to be impactful and powerful but sometimes you can do things in a way that make you feel less connected like I think about the most big example is like when Pink Floyd did the wall, they literally built a wall in front yeah, of the crowd yeah, and then right. they blew it up. Like right. that's a big spectacle, but all those things kind of alienate you from the crowd. Sure. Like you think about a production like Nine Inch Nails. Would you ever seen any of those shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not in person, but videos. Me neither. But like yeah. I saw like the making of the intention tour mm-hmm. and there's almost a sense where it's so amazing that you feel disconnected from it. Tool can do that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maynard stands on a platform in the back. You never see him. Yeah. That dude's not consumed with connecting with his fans. Right. For better or worse. Right. Sure. It's a a different, a different attitude. And there's a different thing than putting on a, there's a difference in putting on a performance that, that, you know, you, we are an audience member watching their performance and they are performing as like being, is being both together and having an experience together. I, I think it's so cool that they, that they care about that. And that's a big thing that pushes them. You don't hear many people talk about it that way. Yeah, James um, said he they feel the most comfortable when they're near people. Right. Yeah. And you know the they, I, so you have the snake pit in the middle, you've got yeah. 1200 people, you've got you crazy. Know, the, si- the size clubs that we're doing for shit for our stuff. <laughs> I know. In in the center of the stage. They're putting Urban Plaza just in the middle of their <laughs> yeah, stadium it's, every it's night. Wild shit. And it's so that they can so James and you see the videos of him all the time getting down on his knees and just like rocking out yeah. with people. Yeah. Um and and they said they said here a minute ago like that that the audience is the show for them. Right. Uh, I loved that. Yeah, they're watching they're watching us rock the fuck out and chant and do all the things and that's what they're that's what they're looking at because and yeah i've heard you talk about this too you you sort you do have sort of a disconnect when you're on stage playing mm-hmm. guitar right like yeah. you do you're doing your parts you're doing your thing but there's x percent of your brain that's not being used for that part that right. you're using for whatever else you're using it right. for you know so for them i mean you know he he doesn't have to think about playing for whom the bell tolls or creeping death or whatever so he's you know they're they're looking at they're looking at the audience and and it's so cool that they care about having the audience be an essential part of the experience and not just the people who bought a ticket to go to the show. For me in Bangor, Maine, I was thinking about those ice sculptures that you could take <laughs> shots out of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> like a swan or something. <laughs> that's right. I, I I have the picture. I have to go look it up because I took a picture of it. But yeah, that's part we mentioned backstage. It's like a it's a party for the for the band. Yeah, one of the things they had is an ice sculpture where an ice an ice luge for shots. <laughs> 
Did you do one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to do one. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't just look at something like that and not not interact. <laughs> I don't think through COVID, through the deaths, through accidents, through broken bones, there's never been a doubt in my yeah. mind that we wouldn't continue. You know, it might suck right now, but we're gonna we're gonna push through this in some form or another. Well, there was a moment where it definitely had to be taken away to realize how how much I care, Powerful. how much I care about it, and how much we all care about that thing too. And that that is needed at times when you're pampered, when you're everything's fine, when when something the rug gets yanked out from under you. Gratitude, uh, realizing what you do have and how much you do love it, and you're gonna miss it. We don't know much else, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. We love what we do, and this is what we get to do. And be of service uh, to ourselves and the world with it. What can we do to be of service to the world with Metallica? It's fucking awesome. And talking about how sometimes it has to be taken away from you for you to appreciate it. I mean, those yeah. are some big themes. Yeah. I mean, that's human. It's just, it's a part of human nature. And one of the places I thought he was going to go just now, and maybe he was, but it kind of got wrapped up as he was like, you know, it's what we, it's all we know. He said, we don't really know much else. And mm -hmm. you think about it, you're like, dude, these dudes have been just touring since like 1983. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there is an element to where like there's some of these you know, those people are like these bands need to know when to stop. Obviously, if ticket sales aren't there, if you're not viable as an artist, you should probably stop. But a band like Kiss that's not really performing at their peak anymore, but they're still selling tickets, and they're on the never-ending farewell tour. I mean, they got to be scared to stop. They don't know how to do anything. Right. Else. Yeah. They can go be they, rich or, guys. Yeah. And they, and 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 then a lot of them. I, you know, they can get in trouble that way too, right? You can like get in trouble. If you take that out, like what are you, you're sitting in your house, like what do you, you know? Well, they say that even if you take being famous and a rock star out of it, you know, they're like a lot of men when they retire, yeah, they tend to die soon after mm -hmm. because almost like your purpose or your vocation is taken away and you don't know how to fill your time. They've all been rich for so long. That's not really, yeah. doesn't matter. It's like they never have to work again. Like they haven't had to work for, yeah, they haven't when, had to work when for could they years? Yeah, since 1986, they could yeah. probably stop working. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, but Black Album, certainly. Yeah. Definitely, at least 91 on. Yeah. Um, I agree. That is cool. Yeah, it, they're still pushing. It's it's just so cool. They're they're like, well, we did uh, arenas in the round last tour. Like, what are we going to do this time? Fucking stadiums in the round. How do we make that cool? How do we make that different? How do we... How do we push what we're doing um, and make it the best it can be? I just aren't many artists that are 60 years old thinking that way that have been doing it for One of the years. most interesting things that the production manager on the World Wire Tour, which I'm assuming is their production manager. Right. One of the most interesting things he told me about the Cube stuff, which I thought the Cubes were cool. And like, you know, do you remember the drones that would come out during Moth and the Flame? Like mm -hmm. these like yeah. drones and shit? So cool, yeah. And we were talking about just the innovation of that. I right. think they were the first band to do that at mm -hmm. that level. It's definitely the first time that I'd seen it, yeah. And... He said, you know, a lot of this is James's idea because James, and he wasn't saying it in like a self-effacing way, but he said, he said, you know, James is always trying to make sure that the show is interesting beyond just four old dudes. He kind of said it joking, like right. four old dudes playing loud music. Right. And I told the production manager, I said, dude, I'm not kissing anyone's ass, but like we would all show up just for that. Yeah, right. Period. We, we love the four old dudes playing. Well, just, metal, yeah. we love the songs. Yeah. Yeah. And we love these guys. We would do that. Mm -hmm. But I also appreciate that like, Creeping death is a different thing for James than me and you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For me and you, I would imagine, because you're a lightning guy like me, mm -hmm. Creeping Death represents almost like the perfect song. Right. But to James, it's just another song he wrote that he know he probably recognizes it's good and power, probably one of his better ones. Sure. But to him, it's just a song. Yeah. So a song he's that like, he wrote when he was 22 or whatever. How? How? <laughs> Incredible. I don't know. 
And so to him, he goes, yeah, can we do something more interesting with the cubes? Because <laughs> right. And we're just going, dude, these play Creeping Death forever. Yeah, right. He's like, do people, do people really want to see me play Creeping Death for yeah. the 5,000th time? And the answer is yes. I mean, I don't but, know what it says about us, but yes, <laughs> we do, dude. I think it says more about the song than us. Uh, um, we're, we're here because of the song, right? Stefan Shirazi, who was on last week's episode, mm-hmm. he posted this great picture. He's on tour with the band, and he a picture of them at Donington. And it's this great artsy picture of James walking on the stage. And he he makes this great connection where he says, you know, Metallica on the M72 tour, James Heffield walking out to open with Creeping Death. I saw this band at Don, wherever for the first time 35 years ago of him walking on opening with Creeping Death. God, that's so and cool. so just bookending it. Yeah. And just a song that's that powerful for that long, you know. So... It's- fucking cool it's fucking cool dude spoiler alert metallica's fucking metallica, cool. metallica's awesome <laughs> it's a variation of the question where does that energy come from and i love to try to intellectualize it and try to find the answers mm. way too close to it still to you know need to have more time in the rear view mirror and whether it came out of the darkness and the despair and the uncertainty of covid it all plays a little bit of a part in it but uh like we've heard ourselves say over the years, uh, as long as the, uh, you know, the body parts, the, the knees, the elbows, the shoulders, the throats, everything, as long as they're capable, yeah. we still have that energy and that fire when we're playing together. And it's hard to imagine, you know, the sub conversations like, how do you, how do you still find all that energy and, and, you know, the, that relentlessness when you're successful and, you know, all that horseshit they throw at you. But when the four of us in a room together, and still this time around, two or three years ago when the project started, it still feels, you take all this away, all, all this fucking away with all the four of us are mm. just playing music. That part of it has not changed since, you know, 40 years ago when we're just like a great riff, a drum part that fits with it. And we're all feeling that the possibility of where that song can take us, that has not fucking changed one iota in 40 years. Fuck yeah, Lars. It's awesome. And still chasing the ultimate riff. And still chasing some weird thing, maybe more so now than ever. Can someone please pronounce the last song on the record, please? In the Marauder. Thank you. That's one of my favorite riffs you've ever written on your 11th studio album. Written on Zoom, by the way. Crazy. Lars and I sitting there fiddling around trying to connect over zoom right you know the pandora's box was opened at that point yeah we're bored let's do some stuff and that was one of the riffs that that came out of that session um how did you feel when you came up with it i want the feeling i don't i don't i don't know i don't think about it man but when you heard it when it came out of you were you just like i was thinking wow that's pretty cool. That's pretty fucking cool. Thank you, Tony Iommi or whoever you just, I just channeled, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, or Cliff or whoever it is. Thank yeah. you. Or thank you, Guitar, for spitting that one out, you know? <laughs> thank it you, just, Guitar. It just happens. I can't explain it, and I don't want to know. You know, it com- I'm a, a messenger. I'm a, a, a vessel, vessel of it. riffs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love James Hatfield saying, I, I, he's like, what did it feel like when you wrote the Inamorata riff? I don't know. Yeah. I'm a messenger. Love the honesty of it's it. So cool. I, it's just it, to me. It's so cool to think about James Hetfield thinking of himself as a messenger for this music. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's like that's the you know he honestly feels like he's the messenger, and then what comes out of him is master of puppets. It's channeled, and I it's something that I talked with Stefan about. Is Stefan does these great 
so what interviews with the band and he yeah. did a very like great one with James. Yeah, it was awesome. And one of the things Stefan and I talked about, which the, the interesting thing about that Stefan interview was we both agreed before we sat down that we would not talk about Metallica nice. because he's done a lot of really interesting things. So we were like, you know, it'd be cool. It's like, what if we actually didn't talk about Metallica much? Right. Well, of course the band c- came yeah, up because we, it's a, we both love them. And we were talking about exactly what you're saying. James's sort of humility about it. And it's like almost like he understands his responsibility now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, well, when I do sit down with Lars, even though it's dumb and it's over Zoom and I don't know what it means, if this is something that might make its way on the next album, I take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. It's coming through me. It strikes me as a very like not self-centered way of right. creating this shit. Yeah. And it's just funny, like he'll he may never know how it reaches into like the lives of two nerds like me and you yeah, right. in Nashville. Right. Enough to sit here and talk about it on a, you know, Monday night. Yeah. But yeah, he's reached this like interesting Zen thing. Yeah, this it's like it's like Jedi Master James Headfield. And it doesn't sound woo-woo or hokey. No, no. It's at like all. it it like you can see it in his face and yeah. you know what he's been through. And we know what the material he's written until now, and it's like it just rings true, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it's so it's so cool for him to for him to and, and he he seems like he's in such a good place about it. Like he gets it. He's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just what I do, man. Yeah, like, this is it. I almost said when when Zane asked, like it's funny because when Zane's saying, well, "How did it feel?" I want to know what the emotion was. I'm with him on the question. I love the right. question. And as a guy that kind of knows what it's like, I mean, I don't know what it's like to write Master of Puppets. But I know what it's like to write songs that people like. And I almost said it before him. He doesn't know. Yeah, right. No, I didn't. I mean, he doesn't know. I love the honesty. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it on the podcast, but uh, Bob Dylan did a 60 Minutes interview and they were like, blowing in the wind. Like, how'd you do it? <laughs> and, and he's just like, he like really thinks about it. He, he like pays attention to the question. He's like, I don't know. Right. And he doesn't know. No, no idea. You're, well, it, it takes some of the gravitas out of it, but really what he was probably doing with Lars was just kind of goofing around yeah, and fucking just, just around playing guitar yeah and then and then lars jumps in and goes oh that and and lars has the spectacular ear of what was that yeah you know i don't know what was that <laughs> play it was it, special. Back. it was special, special. I mean, from the first moment it was special oh, so fucking good i um, hear it obviously it didn't start off as a as an 11 minute song but yeah. is that the longest song you've ever made yeah <laughs> but it 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 wanted to keep going and there was a feeling as the ideas continue to show up, that it's like the song was calling out for now we got to take these detours and now we got to go here and this bass breakdown. <laughs> oh, he, play, he plays it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck I right mean, off. <laughs> <laughs> it is very Sabbath. Oh, my God. The first yeah. time I heard oh, that. That's the first thing I thought, too. I, like, I, I want to, like, break something. Black Sabbath, first record. But then I also want to, like, burst into tears. That riff just had a different... I hear all the riffs. And these guys are, are, are kind enough to sort of uh, let me cherry-pick the ones that, yeah. you know, will turn into songs. And, and from the first time I heard that, yeah. uh, it was just like that that sits somewhere else. And that's Lars's magic. Yeah, like, that's, that's, that's his function, right? Lars is the guy that's able to just hear it and know how it can fit together. And Lars has like incredible vision. Mm-hmm. And that's what he gets the credit for, right? Like not only just the music stuff, but the go-get attitude, the yeah. knowing, to put the tape together, to send it to Brian Slagle. Right. All the, all well, the- yeah, I mean, James, James, James Hetfield doesn't, I mean, he, you know, sure, I'm sure James Hetfield would have would have found a way to be uh, an impactful artist without Lars, but that's the Lars sauce, yeah. right? I mean, that's yeah. That's why when people talk about all, this, all, the, all the silly, silly heads out there that talk about like, 
Metallica having a different drummer. It's like <laughs> it's like sure, man, but you know, I don't it, I don't think I'd be interested. It's way more than that, man. Other people wouldn't have been able to draw that out of James or like or figure out a, a platform for that to happen. You I know? think James would have been able to do something without Lars. I don't think Lars would have necessarily been able to do something as good without James, but oh, yeah. I don't think what either of them would have done without each other would have been as good. Exactly. I totally And that's agree. that's all you can that's right. all you can say. Period. And you don't you don't make uh <laughs> oh, shit, I messed up your period. Uh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> um, Dude, don't step on that period line. That, I'm so sorry. <laughs> First timer, you know. <laughs> Uh, but that's how uh, I mean. That's how that's how bands work, right? That's how organizations of human beings work, right? It's right. never it's never the perfect thing, yeah. But it, it, it's it's what it is. <laughs> Free will is an illusion. We're all just uh, following our programming, right? And, Dude, uh, hell yeah! <laughs> you read Sam Harris? Are we doing a Sam Harris podcast? <laughs> no, I'm doing a bit for you. <laughs> Though <laughs> so we can't say free will is illusion. That's going to upset too many people. Yeah, you're right. But did they have the freedom to even not be upset at it? <laughs> I would argue no. I think about the words on this album, you know? I'm a work in progress, buddy. And life is a work in progress for me and for all of us. We all go through stuff. <clears throat> we all uncover things of from our 72 seasons. And we're still working through what old, new, big T, little T, whatever it may be. There's still stuff. And we're all trying to, to get better uh, at navigating life. And... I think the uh, a lot of the lyrics on this record have a little more of an inkling of hope uh, in them sprinkled in there. There's a, so much acceptance of where we are in our lives, where I am in my life, and I can fight, 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 and try and change shit, change shit, change shit. At the end of the day, it's a part of me. You embrace it. You see how it works in your life, how it doesn't work. It's like having couple people around with you all the time it's like hey i know you shut up right yeah. now okay you know <laughs> yeah. let this guy talk you mm-hmm. know there's there's an acceptance of the voices in the head you know and where do they show up why do they show up you know there's so much to overthink but just accepting them and letting them have their space and and being you know allowing ourselves to be human okay so after this uh lars talks about um the four of them being comfortable with the aging process Mm. and um just about like how some people are always trying to be 25 years old and even when they get older but the four of them are aging in the same way in a respectful way of the aging process and also thank god for being in in a in a group in a gang and a band and a collective of people that are aging mostly the same way was mm. just that they're very comfortable with the right. aging process in itself. You know, if two guys were being more comfortable being vulnerable and taking the mask off and expressing themselves that way and two other guys were, you know, chasing the fountain of youth and trying to pretend that they're still 30 years old or whatever, yeah. that would bring a lot of internal conflict. But the fact that we're 40 years into this, we're knocking on the door at 60 and we're comfortable with who we are at this point in our lives, yep. with the path that we've been on, the path that's ahead of us, paying the respect to the bodies, to the health, to the mental health, to the physical health, to all of it, but it's not something that's being swept under the carpet and trying to be pretended away. It's a big part of, of who we are. It's certainly something that I'm incredibly proud of. Kirk talks about how he was uh, going out and getting wasted every night and then sweating out the hangover on stage and then realized a little too late that he wasn't making progress as a human being. Ooh, wow. Yep. I got into a, a cycle where it's just like, play a show, go out, stay out all night, 
then wake up the next day hungover, go out on stage, mm. sweat the hangover out on stage, mm. and then go do it again. This is my job. Yeah, but you know, there was no, no progression. You know, when I was doing that, I, I was just kind of like just staying at this one level. It took me a long time to notice <laughs> that I wasn't progressing, yeah. wasn't going anywhere. Over time, you notice, you take it into account, and you do what you need to do to get back on track. Yeah. And it makes all the difference in the world. Having a clear head about everything, you know, and especially on stage, makes a mountain of difference just in terms of like performance, you know, execution, everything. My own enjoyment. It makes a real, real being in the moment and then allowing yourself to be in the moment. Yeah. Rather and than being present. To, Absolutely being to, present. Lars talks about the set list construction. He talks a little bit about the deep cuts database. So he looks at what songs they played when and to make sure they're not, you know, they're throwing out different deep cuts in different places and not doing the same show. That's fascinating. We have a database that one of our great crew guys runs that have every time we played in Holland and in Amsterdam literally exists in a database. And so on all the deep cuts, we can see, you know, the holier than thou's or the leper messiahs or the whatever, uh, harvester of sorrows or the trapped under ice or whatever. Moving the Last time we played that deep cut in Holland was in, you know, 2004 or whatever. So that one we can bring out again because it hasn't been there for 20 years. So it's a balance of all these different things. Do you things. do the data thing as well? Do you go through the data and figure out like, because it's so regionally spe specified now, do you go through and go, look, I didn't realize that that song on that album actually over indexes in Holland or anything like that? Do you uh, go that deep? Not to that level no it's just more like i said it's a combination of obviously what we want to play it's a yeah. combination of the few songs that should be played and then it's just figuring out the deeper cuts so when you play a special song that you don't end up playing that special song in that yeah, same yeah. city every time mm. and every time we're in holland amsterdam is to give people the different show and so here we are at johan cruyff stadium arena last time we played at Pink Pop, the time before that we played next door at the arena, um, the Zigo Dome. He knows all and that so shit. Every time oh, yeah. you're in there, you're playing a different place, different he's, space. He's the biggest fan of Metallica. With a different song list. So it's always a different experience for the fans, and it's always a different experience for us. So you don't fall into that autopilot thing and now it's three years later and here we are at the same stadium with the same setup and the same 16 songs and all that so it's just always trying to mix it up man okay all right yeah i didn't really quite know that he does it that way and it, you know ding 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 drinking game out there it does i know dave <laughs> matthews does a similar thing right now dave matthews plays a unique set list every night right but i know that he also looks at okay last time we were at uh, saratoga performing arts center last time we were at hershey park or whatever and he takes into consideration, I want to give the fans in this part of the world a different experience. I did not know that Lars necessarily did that. Okay, we have a deep cut slot. Right. And it's, or a thrash slot. So it's either going to be blackened, spit out the bone, fight fire, or battery. Right. He's going to mix it up. That's really cool. Yeah. Looking at, yeah, be like, make sure we didn't do the same. We didn't play spit out the bone in the same place. I'm surprised he would even need to look it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because he always does that. You know, the first time we came to Atlanta, yeah, we were at whatever Smith's Old Bar. Then on the Aussie tour, we were at whatever the Fox Theater. You know, right? It, I mean, it's cool that there's a there one of the crew guys. 
keeping the database. That makes a lot of sense. That probably makes it a lot easier for yeah. him. Because I'm I'm sure in the in the early days he was remembering all that shit, but yeah, they've, they've done a lot of fucking. Well, shows, now he so. just gets to have a someone who it's their job and they yeah. know and they get to say. By the way, we're in you know Denver. Go Nugs. Um, yeah. Last time we were here, we were playing at whatever the Mile High yeah. Stadium, and you know one of the last times they were there, it broke out into a storm, and then when they were able to come back on, they played Ride the Lightning. Right. So. It's cool. Like you can kind of get fed some of that info, then you can make some good decisions. Yeah, it's it's really cool to be that intentional about it. What's a realistic deep cut for you that you would like to see live or that you haven't seen yet? Ooh, um, it's not like Escape or uh, House that Jack built. Four Horsemen or No Remorse. Yeah. Um, you said No Remorse is your favorite song. Kill them all. Yeah, th- those two are probably my favorite off of Kill them all. Let's just do this little game here in the middle of the podcast. Sure. Do not overthink it. We're going to okay. go album by album. Okay. Just. The studio albums. Oh, God. And I want to hear your favorite song from each album. So don't even overthink it. Okay. Uh, Four so, Horsemen. So Kill Them All. Four Horsemen. Lightning. We'll say. Uh, Creeping Death. Puppets. Um, mm-hmm. Orion. Okay. Uh, Justice. Blackened. Yeah. Good answer. I mean, you know, it's hard to be blackened. But also, I'd say I'd say my favorite like deep cut from from uh, Justice is uh, Freight Ends of Sanity. You, uh, I'm sure you've heard frequent a friend of ours been on the show that name's Brad Blazik. Yeah, right, yeah, right. He's a huge Freight Ends guy. Great song. Huge Freight Ends guy. All right, Black Album. Favorite song? Uh, Through the Never. Hell yeah. Damn, that's probably mine too. Uh, Load. Hmm. Outlaw Torn. Outlaw Torn. Great answer. Man after my own heart over here. Reload. Slither. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Slither. <laughs> that was for you. <laughs> I might I be, am, say, <laughs> am I the only guy in the world that likes Slither? No, I, I like it I too. I, I will say I listened to, I did my, you know, my annual load reload listen uh, yeah. <laughs> a couple weeks ago and Slither has been fucking stuck in my head. So that's why I said that. Dude, fuck yeah. Because um, it rips. Yeah. I mean, it rips. Let's go. We'll include Garage, uh, Garage Inc. Okay. Stone Cold Crazy. Okay. So that's a disc two sitch. Yeah. Turn the page is awesome too. St. Anger. <sighs> frantic. Okay, frantic. Uh, death magnetic. Unforgiven three. Hardwired. Spit out the bone. Yeah, yeah, spit. It's amazing that spit out the bones on that album. It's yeah. amazing they were to, able to accomplish it's that. Fucking awesome. And then seventy two seasons. I'm curious. Favorite song. Initially, it was uh, "If Darkness Had a Son," which is I, I know a lot of people. Cool. It's on the bottom of their list. Yeah, that's but, cool um, though. It's interesting. Something about it for me. I just I, lo- I love the uh, the Pantera chug. Yeah. Oh, that sick. that moment in if Darkness Had a Son is one of my favorite moments on the record. Yeah. Gun, 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 yeah. Gun, gun. yeah. It sounds like Cowboys from Hell, I guess. Right. Is that what you mean by <laughs> yeah. Pantera? Yeah. It's it's got got to, to me, it it it, gun, 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 it sounds like Dimebag Daryl. Yeah. Man, that's so true. Okay, so it um, used to be Darkness. What is it now? Um, probably Shadows Follow. Cool. I love that dude. That was one that immediately hooked me. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's too early. It, it's too early. It's to hard for sure. We're still yeah. digesting. Yeah. But today it's Shadows Fall. How many new songs are you gonna play on this tour? Figuring it out? No, we got it pretty figured out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let Lars answer that because he's in charge of <laughs> north of north of zero, <laughs> south of twelve. Um <laughs> we're uh, we're representing the new album. Uh you know, it's been great. Uh on Death Magnetic, we ended up playing all ten of them subsequently through the tour. On Hardwired, I think we got up to nine or ten through the tour of the twelve. Uh, we're we're going to represent. I mean, obviously we've got the two different set lists and no repeats and all that. So there's a different kind of structure to the set list. It's not often you get a chance to start on a completely, you know, blank canvas uh, and and forty years in, just forced to reinvent it. 
which I think is part of the appeal of this thing for us. Also part of the daunting thing because there are certain safety measures in there and certain sort of flags you plant that end up being cornerstones, but we're kind of throwing it all out. So you'll see uh, the next couple of days, uh, but uh, it's represented well and we look forward to it. Mm-hmm. And playing those, I mean, we've been jamming those songs for the last three, four weeks and they are fun to play and they're real like, ugh. And what you were kind enough to say about the, the relentlessness and the energy and so on, I mean, it, it, it's definitely going to be fun the next few days to, to get them out there. And the musical language of them obviously is a true represent, representation of our current headspace. So with some of the earlier songs, when you go back to revisit them, there are some tweaks you have to make and maybe some reinterpretations that you do along the way. And they kind of morph as your headspace continues to sort of move in different places. But these songs are fresh out of the oven, obviously, yeah. and they're right in the current wheelhouse. Yeah. And so that's really, yeah. uh, that's really cool. You could tell there was a lot of, uh, a lot of back and forth about the set list situation with this tour, but the no repeats, I mean, I'm sure that they had to do a long, a lot of meetings <laughs> about what songs they were going to play. And they do this thing now, you know, that we've learned through the Stefan interview that it's very democratic. Yeah. So... I guess what we know now from looking at enough of the shows, they've played 10 shows now, mm-hmm. that the they're playing six songs from the album. Right. They're, and they're in the same kind of... It's a, it's a curious way yeah, that they're yeah, doing yeah. it because they're doing... I'm going to get the order maybe wrong, but they're basically doing 72 seasons, Lux, Screaming Suicide, with either Fade to Black or, or Sanitarium kind of sandwiched in there. Mm-hmm. And then they're doing... Sleepwalk, My Life Away, If Darkness Had a Son, and what's the sixth one? Oh, You Must Burn. Right. Yeah, so they're not Which touching They're not touching Shadows Follow. I think con, kind of quick little fucking kick you in the face, no-brainers would be like Too Far Gone, Chasing yep. Light. Yep. Obviously, Room of Mirrors is a big beast to tackle. In a Murata, big a big bitch to tackle. Right. But damn, like, too far gone and chasing light. Yeah, those. Um, the, I mean, the ones that they're playing. It strikes me is just like those are the ones that are going to be the most comfortable to start off with. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I, Lux, I, for I, sure. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they get into the other ones as they go along the tour. You know, I hope they do. Yeah, I would even um, sacrifice. Like, there's a slot in there that I think is kind of a Rome Sabbath True slot, right? Which I would kind of take Sabbath True at every show. Yeah, of course. But Sabbath True. But. I'd take another seventy-two season songs over Rome. Yeah, me too. I mean, or or even Savage. I mean, at this point, it's like uh, I, uh, yeah. those songs are awesome. But you know, we've 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 heard yeah, them we've heard lot. them. Have they? Yeah. I wonder if they've ever opened a show with Savage. Oh, that'd be pretty sick. Damn, because I know they're like you know some of the openers are bells. Yeah, which is an awesome. That's if an awesome you could choose over. between Orion or Cthulhu to see, which would you prefer to see? Orion. Orion. I like. I, I like. I know it's. I know people are split, but I, I I'm more of an Orion, Orion guy than Cthulhu. I was wondering if they would bust out to live us to die for yeah that would be that would but be it awesome. sounds like they just got these two polished yeah and they're the two biggest ones to live us to die is awesome I mean it's it's an underrated that that would that would be definitely definitely considered a pretty pretty hardcore deep cut they've only done it I think the one time at the 30th anniversary show yeah. the uh, the break the uh, the low clean guitar part in uh, to live us to die is my that's my go to like picking up a guitar. The lo-fi my, part. My just do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, that part is fucking beautiful. So cool. That's just like a like a pick up a guitar. That's what my fingers do. Well, look at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I love I love I love Orion. Uh, I've gotten to see it live once, so I'll tell you. I haven't seen Cthulhu live. I don't think. But. What was the Orion show? 
where you saw her? Um, I, if I remember correctly, it was uh, Voodoo Fest in New Orleans where they filled in for Green Day. Oh. Um, they played Orion. What year was that? Uh, it would have been 2012 or 13. Probably 13. Damn. I've got it in here. I what can, a treat. I can actually tell you the answer. Um, just because I have the shows that I went to downloaded. That show was 2012, October 27th. They opened with Hit the Lights. They played Puppet Second. Wow. Puppet um, Second. That's early. Of Wolf and Man. Oof. Great deep cut. Yep. Um, yeah, they played Orion. It and was this is a, a Sabatru Fade to Black Orion. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, that's good. It's a good set. A Wolf um, and early of Wolf and Man. Damn. I know. Yeah, so I've seen Orion. Um yeah, I don't know. Something I just I just really like it. It's one of my favorites. Probably top tenor for me. Love Cthulhu. Love uh, SNM Cthulhu. Oh, dude. What do you think about SNM too? Do you like it? Yeah, I liked it. Uh, that was actually uh, one of the one of my first dates with Sarah. <laughs> just to the like, theater. Yeah, that was like around the time we started dating. And you know, when you start dating somebody new, you you sort of you always have the internal struggle of like, when do I show them exactly how much of a fucking nerd I am? Yeah. And um, it's a fun dance because you you know everyone does it. You you hide and you. Yeah, sure. You tuck in ways, mm-hmm. and then once you know you got them, yeah, then right. You're like, by the way, like, oh, by the way, I have four, fifty Metallica shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what date do you let them know how many Metallica shirts are in yeah, the closet? Right. You know? how, what what month do you tell them? It was pretty early on for us, um, you know. And you're we, like, I really think I'm starting to like you. I think I'm starting to like you too. Okay, yeah. but I think I should tell you. Yeah, right. Well, it, for for us, it was uh, she she tours too. She she's on the road, um, not not as much as I am, and in in different ways. And that's the whole different thing. But early on in dating, I'm on the road a lot. She's on the road. We're only seeing each other a couple times a month. That's you tough. Know, it just happened one of the times that we were like going to hang out. And, uh, you know, that's the one night that SM2 is in the theater. So, you know, I was like, well, here we go. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll Did she find have a good out. time? Yeah. I think, I, well, I think she liked it. You can ask her later, but uh, I think she liked it. But I was like, hey, man. Um, so, uh, Metallica, I'm a big Metallica fan. They do this thing where, um, you know, they play with a symphony and then the you know, whole thing. And I was like, and it's in the theaters. And if we're going to hang out, it's kind of, it's kind of what that's I want to be doing, doing yeah, tonight. Like I would, I'd love for you to come with me, <laughs> but that's like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, she, she does like Metallica, uh, but that's how much she liked you. Well, I, I mean, I hope so. Um, she actually, she actually went to a Metallica show in her life before I did because her dad was the, uh, promoter rep on, uh, the summer sanitarium tour. Whoa! Yeah, so little twelve-year-old Sarah was at, at you know, Summer Sanitarium. Wow! Yeah, that's cool. I know. Which one? Uh, Houston. So Houston, Houston was show. it when James was when to. James got hurt, or the one after? Ooh, I don't know because they did two Summer Sanitariums. Got it. I'm not. Sh- she would know. I'm gonna ask. She her. would know the exact date. Yeah, ask I'm gonna ask her soon. She gets exact it. date. But what uh, time is she getting here? By the way, I told her six thirty ish. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the next chapter section is called gratitude. Yeah, man. Uh, and that's probably a good place to just talk about how fucking cool James Hetfield is. You're still here. Yes, we're still here. We're still feeling like we're contributing to the good side, <laughs> to making it better. You know. Uh, well, that is thought about every single day. You know, that, you know, what are we doing here? (laughs) Yeah. What is the service we're bringing, you know, at the end of the day? Yeah. I say this is a toy. Yeah. It is just a, it's wood and metal and a bunch of aluminum put together, but with thought and with care and with love and with intent. And yeah, that, that'll go back to whatever it's supposed to be at the end when this is all done. 
but what we do with it and how we get to use this tool to connect is what it's all about. Uh, he mentions this earlier, but just allowing allowing themselves to be human, allowing himself to be human and not be perfect. Yeah. You know, we all know one of the things about James Hetfield, like the control part of it, you know? Right. It's cool that he's just sort of like let part of that go in lieu of just being a human and accepting that it's not going to be perfect. And, you know, we're all flawed and that's part of the experience of of being a human being. And he talks about... Uh, he talks about gratitude and appreciation contributing to the good side, being one of the good guys. It's so fucking cool for James to come to all the all we know that he's been through in his life, and to just like not be not be a bitter old piece of shit. He's like he he says that it, they think about it every day of like what are they contributing to the world? How, James is like, how can I? What can I do to contribute to the good side? Be one of the good guys, right? And like leave more good in the world than 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 I left it. And and it's such a cool thing from like a heavy metal perspective of just like you think about all these other like i don't think i don't think carrie king or or dave mustaine or you know or would ever have the thought of like oh yeah you know how do i how do i live today to to be one of the good guys i mean i'm sure those guys are complex people i don't sure. know them but i've never heard them publicly sure. um espouse anything to that degree and i've never heard them say anything that bad either like no sure i want people to suffer but it's nothing against them it's nothing against anybody that doesn't think that way but you're right there's I, something cool it's, about it's inspired it's inspiring to me to have i agree to have james hetfield go through the things that he's been through done all that he's done in the world and then still at this point being like in, he's not quitting he's not he's not withdrawing from the world he's like what can i do in my way that's authentic to me <laughs> that that is compassionate towards myself as a human being they talk about compassion and talk about having he says having compassion for yourself makes it easier to have compassion for other people hmm. and for it and to to realize that we all share some part of the human experience and and some of the things that we all go through or they're not the same but they're but they're similar we all have similar struggles as human beings it's the human experience it's it's so cool to have that perspective in, in a guy that's been doing it like this for that long. He's done a lot of work on himself. Yeah. He's done a lot because if, I think about, you know, one of the first iterations of James that a lot of us fell in love with was the Seattle 89 or, or the 91, 92 binge and purge black album era. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the kind of fierce, scary, almost scary James. Right. Who I got to be honest, doesn't seem that in touch with his feelings. Nope. Maybe because he's such a formidable artist and writer, it was coming through. But I don't, I don't think he was maybe an easy guy to <clears throat> be vulnerable with in those days. No, I'm sure he wasn't. And so you look at, you know, <clears throat> he allegedly had a stint of sobriety in the mid '90s. Maybe that's what some of the material is about. Through Saint Anger, where he obviously went to rehab, they didn't know right. if they were going to stay together. And then through this evolution of the last 20 years of what we call Papa Het, the kind of Papa Bear, mm-hmm. the kind of guy that would say things like, look, I'm a vessel. Right. I'm trying to find ways to... I always I also really appreciate that he's he always does start with like, look, I'm starting with myself. I want to play the show I want to hear. I want to be the best person for me. Right. That is how I can be the best person to serve the Metallica family or serve my family. Yep. And so... I think sometimes about like what would the twenty-two-year-old Hetfield think of this, right. this weathered man yeah. that now sits before us all and says things like, "I just want to be of service," right? <laughs> you know, and it as me, I'm turning forty this year, which is like a kind of feels like a landmark type of year, real or imagined. And it, yeah, it's a guy that's like kind of cared about this this dumbass James Hetfield, this guy sitting up here, yep, 
like most of my life. Yeah. It's like he really is a hero now in even more ways than just the riff master. Right. Or the great songwriter. It's not just riff life. No, it's like, wow, a good human. Right. Like a really like a almost like a a mentor, like someone to really aspire to be. Mm Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I mean, it, it it just, it's just to hear these guys sit up there and talk about, they talk about love, gratitude, and appreciation for what they do. It's, it's very cool to hear the biggest heavy metal band in the world, arguably the biggest band in the world right. that we have left, you know, in, in rock world in general. I don't think anyone will ever do it again like that. No, I don't think so. Just to hear them talk about that, like love as being an important part of what they yeah. do is, is inspiring to me. The last part of this, they, what do they do? A walk through the snake pit. Yes. Let's check this out. The calm before the storm. The biggest snake pit you've ever created. <laughs> it's insane. It's the size of most major venues in the it's mainland insane. Europe. Yeah, yeah. most it's of the venues uh, that you know we're spot. doing. Yeah. yeah, I mean the snake pit has been. Uh, I don't like to focus on that. We've been doing yeah, well, for yeah. basically thirty years. <laughs> yes. One day, stadiums. The, one day, sure. Going back to the black album days. So the snake pit, you know, started off. One of our managers, you know, back in New York in the late eighties. It looks huge 90s, when you're when you're looking at it like that. The idea that, that um, when you would go to a restaurant, restaurant that the best seat in the restaurant was actually not in the house mm. but the best seat was in the kitchen mm. crazy cool restaurants if you could somehow get into the kitchen and eat in the kitchen you were in there where all the action was yeah so the idea that came out of that for that snake pit on the black album tour was basically to be in the middle of the stage so we had a stage uh, that was shaped like a diamond and there was 30 40 spots in the middle of that stage Radio contest, you know, winners, friends, family, a few crazy metalheads from around the audience would end up in that snake pit and they would be on stage with us. And then it morphed. And basically for, uh, I guess, 30 years now, the snake pit has been an integral part of at least a Metallica indoor show. Mm. And then in the, uh, in the stadiums when we've been playing outside, it's been sort of this extension of the stage. You've seen it, but they've never, They've never been like crazy big. There's been room for a couple of hundred here, a couple of hundred there, yeah. whatever, but it's always uh, someone been. Someone told you know, me it's like a thousand in here. Yeah, we, we, we were told between uh, 900 to 1200, you know, depending on the density, obviously. And, and as you know, when you get into these things um, in different countries, the fire marshal has different, yeah, yeah. you know. I'm probably just going to have to bite the bullet and do it one of the shows that I go to. Which shows are you going to? So I have no idea because, as you know, touring, it's hard to, you know. It's hard to go to shows when doing, you do, doing, do. Your, doing your own shows uh, gets in the way of going to other shows. <laughs> We're talking uh, about St. Louis. Any plans to go to St. Louis? Yeah. Uh, as of right now, it's open on the schedule. Um, but, yeah, you know, same. things change. Uh, Detroit is the one that I'm most sure that I'm going to be able to make it to because uh, Dylan Hester, um, our guitar player, is getting married on that Saturday. So as of right now, so we don't have shows that weekend. So you're Mitchell, flying. Mitchell wanted to make sure he could, you know, he could go to Dylan's wedding. So uh, the plan right now, and you're not going to go to Dylan's wedding. Well, I'm getting there. So the plan <laughs> right now, because I'm a fucking psychopath, but I just feel like I have to do it. Is the plan is that I'm going to go to Detroit, go to the Friday show, fly back to Nashville, go to Dylan's wedding fly back to Detroit on Sunday and go to the show. You should do it. It'll be worth it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, how many more times am I going to see Metallica? Right? I mean, let's say, let's just make up a number. Okay, but that sounds crazy. Let's say that's going to cost you $3,500. Yeah. It wouldn't, I don't think, cost no, that much. No. But let's just say that's what yeah. it is. Unless I, unless I go buy a snake pit ticket. You're not going to give a fuck <laughs> about $3,500 no. in, in, in no, even, or, in, even or, in eight months. Or what, I'm going to be tired? You're going to be a little about, tired? I'm not going to care about being tired. I'm tired all the time. I'm thinking about going to the show. I mean, obviously, I want to see the show as many times as I can reasonably see the show. Yeah. You know? Because 
it has been amazing that they've pushed forward and always done bigger, crazier shit. But we all, I mean, they're not going to do stadiums again, right? At least not like this. I would have said, that's a great point. I would have said after the Worldwide Tour, because they did stadiums here. They went over to Europe and did arenas. And mm-hmm. I've, I would have guessed that's it. Then they came back here and did a full run of arenas. Right. Then they went back to Europe and did stadiums. Right. Yeah. Right. And and like the ticket sales were good. Mm-hmm. Like like I think mostly sold out everywhere. Yeah. So that really shocked me. And then now they're doing stadiums now, and it's impressive. But they've pared the shows way down. Sure. So if yeah. you go from fifty two shows a year to twenty three, yeah, it's a huge difference. You're toying with an, an, an what I think is a, a a proactive and kind of a like uh they're they're setting an interesting precedent for how you can do this, but they're toying with what demand looks like, right? So they're like, okay, well we're gonna do two night, we're gonna we're gonna do less shows, but we are gonna and they're gonna be stadiums. So instead of the twenty thousand arena in Little Rock and the twenty thousand yeah. arena in Memphis, we're gonna do two stadiums in yeah, in St. Louis, St. Louis. So they're gonna still reach the same amount of people sell the same amount of tickets right it's a walk away they don't need a redundant rig right they don't need to be out there all the time and they, they talk about this in the section with with lars it's just uh it's the it's the and they can do this because they've had the success to do this but I, it feels like they hit a really cool you know point on the xy graph of right you know, doing the shows of, of making it all line up to where they can they can do a show and go home and have a life and, and yeah. come back. Na- uh, Lars mentions that they're doing it Nashville style, <laughs> which is funny. Interesting that he would um, even be kind of hip. Yeah, he's to- hip. To, he's hip to Nashville style touring. And what that you want to explain to our listeners what that is? Yeah, sure. So um, normally when you think when you know I think with most people and what we did when we were kids, uh, you think about a tour. You know, you're you leave, you are on tour, and then you get home from the tour after the shows. You're out for you're two months, for months, three months, yeah. months at a time. You're playing all the shows. Um, and Nashville spot style, despite what you just did with Morgan. Yeah, that um, was rare. In general, Nashville style is uh, Nashville is such a centrally located hub. You know, you look at a map, see, uh, look at all the places you can make it to within a 12 hour drive of Nashville, and you're covering 60% of the population or 80. Some, it's, it's, there's a number out there. It's like 70% of the population of the country or whatever right. is within a 12 hour drive of Nashville or whatever. So that gives you the opportunity to um, go out on the weekends. Um, so instead of going for two months at a time, you were doing shows. The normal week is Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So you leave Wednesday, get back Sunday. Yeah. Guys like you get to come home and spend time with your, with your, with your wife and child. Yeah. Um, and you have some semblance of a, of a home life. Now there's a pros and cons to that because obviously, you know, if you're doing three shows a week to hit the number of shows that you have to hit in a year to make it, worth it for everybody we're working more weeks a, a right. year than you would doing the other way you're basically working every week right except for maybe like january and maybe a couple weeks in december yeah i mean i if, if i looked at my calendar this year um there's maybe you know eight weekends max that i am home yeah um I, i'm home this saturday i was home this saturday and then i'm home the next saturday and i, I don't think i'm home on another saturday you're home for your birthday thanksgiving yeah that's cool which is rare rare <laughs> incredible i think i've spent every birthday for like that's 12 years on the road yeah yeah it's uh, me too yeah. <laughs> so um so yeah so nashville you know nashville style one of the pros of nashville style touring is that uh you get do get some semblance of home life you get to sleep in your bed every week it's funny to think about lars um, put framing go it that out way. back yeah that's 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 how he says it i wonder what the i wonder what it, what that was for him that he you know has that frame of reference but um stapleton probably yeah i guess so um they're all muckety mucks so uh, yeah, so they, so they so it it seems to be a cool way for them where they're optimizing the number of tickets they can sell um, and the number of people the fans that can make it to shows. They're all major markets. They're all easy places to get to. 
um, if you want to travel. And they've got to be hubbed out. I mean, I don't know how they do it in Europe. I'm not as familiar with the landscape, but when they're here, I know on the World Wired Tour, a major hub for most of that tour was Chicago. Right. Yeah, so they're on sense. a jet. They're on a jet after the show with yeah. their families, or their families just stayed at the suite that they've rented right. for two months in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So they're just living together in Chicago. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. I mean, that's if you're set up in a way to do that, I think that's kind of the dream for everybody. Right. Uh, it's incredible for them to be able to do it. They don't They don't have to, you know, to, for them to be able to make each show as good as it can be, they have to do fewer shows it's yeah. just as a, as a function of their age. And, yeah. You know. And how big they are. Yeah. There's a sense to where it's like, I've been thinking about this with Taylor, you know. I mean, you've been paying attention to the Taylor tour. We all kind of have been. And, uh, you, I mean, you can't get away from it. And without sounding like a like a braggadocious shithead, um, I'm friends with those guys. And nice. uh, Mike Meadows, her band leader, is a Hendersonville guy okay. where I live. Yeah, He was over at the house just a couple days ago, and we were talking about I bet that. he's got great insight. <laughs> I would love to hear him talk about that stuff. Man, it was fascinating. It, it was. They're halfway through. They're 30 out of 66 shows in. And we were, you know, obviously it's a trip. He's on a ride, you know, it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a crazy ride. She's, she's doing things that are insane. And it's like, I don't even know what her cap is. Like, yeah, she's doing five nights in LA, three nights in, at MetLife. I mean, could she have added three or four more nights in each of those markets? I think she could have. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Easy. So they're at a point. And I, I think the closest thing in hard rock is Metallica where it's like, of course, what's the third night? I mean, could you sell 70,000 tickets again? Right. Probably. Yeah, probably. So then you're just looking at, I don't even know what that means. So then you're looking at what? Well, just physical exertion. Yeah. What do we want to do? Right. Because like, I love the, the, the way you framed it a second ago of like, what, how can we do in a way that we're delivering the best product? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, the longer period of time that they're out, and they, they say this in this thing, it's like if they, if they had to stay out for weeks at a time, they would, they would go, go crazy. Go crazy. They can't do it at this point, which, or, is, which is understandable. I mean, it's not a natural thing for people to do. Or in Hetfield situation, like- that might be detrimental to his health and right. to his addiction goals, like right. his sobriety goals. I yeah, should say. yeah, he needs to go back to his place and be by himself and fuck well, because Ethan and I talked woods. about that recently, where it's like, you know, you can't keep making cool records and doing cool shows if you die, right? Yeah, if you like, drink yourself like, to death, like plenty of them have, like, like, like yeah, like it's tale as old as time. So yeah. I, I just think it's really impressive. It just I, I'm impressed with the the amount of intention uh, put into everything in the '72 seasons era in general. Hmm. Um, Dig that. It's really cool that they've figured out how to do do the shows, make the shows fucking cool. Like don't don't sacrifice how good each show is, but maybe the way that we do that is is um you know, stay in the same place for more than one show and then do fewer shows. Less shows, and bigger scale, bigger impact. Yeah, so that they can keep doing it. I've I've no doubts that they'll keep doing it, but it's hard to imagine that they're gonna do stadiums again. Um but I would love to be proven wrong, but it just kind of feels like No, it's a good point. It feels like, you know, if I'm trying to see Metallica as many times as I can before they go away, then I need to catch as many of these shows as I possibly can. Maybe the next version of this is still stadiums, but instead of twenty three shows a year, <clears throat> it's like ten. Right. Yeah. It's easier that, or do they go back to doing arenas in the round and do, and still do, still keep the show count the same or whatever? I wonder what it feels like for them. Like selling out arenas is no joke. I mean, that's where I know that Mitchell wants to be. That's where Mm -hmm. we want to be. We're seeing our peers do it. And we're, you know, we're doing the math on how do we get there. It's like a kind of a fun, it's a fun climb. Right. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. And and that's sort of the most realistic goal you can set, right? And it's like a consistent arenas. Trying to, trying to play stadiums is is a goal you can have, but you know, it's very, very few people get there. (laughs) But if you You, are that sort of conceptualized playing, if you are that band, 
is it weird for them to go back to arenas? Does that feel to them like a demotion? Yeah. Or like a step back? I don't know. I don't think so. I, James mentions in this in this thing, and I've heard him say it before. He, he had to he had to be sort of convinced to do this. Hmm. That in his head, he's like, "Oh, we're old now. Doesn't it make sense to you know pare it down or do you know just do whatever?" Um, and then and Lars says he's already thinking about what the next what the next thing is. Like, wow. where, where do we go from here? Wow, because Lars is always thinking about that shit. But he's like, so where do we go from here? So now that we've done this, do we go back to doing a more intimate thing in smaller places? Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I feel like they're so, I feel like they're good. I, I don't feel like for their egos, they have to like play to X number of people or impress anybody. Yeah, you know, I agree. I mean? they're going to do whatever they feel like doing. And if they, if they feel like it's, you know, if, if the next step is getting, you know, paring it back down and getting more intimate, then that's what they're going to do. I have no doubts that they're going to keep going. What a great point. I don't think that they, I, yeah, I think they've all reached the, the point of enough, enough ego death <laughs> to, to feel like they're going to be fulfilled and satisfied. I mean, I feel and, like that's James's whole yeah. trip. Yeah. Yeah. And he like, and I love you've, you've talked, I've heard you talk about this before about James's view on people not liking the music or whatever, you know, he's like, that's fine, man. Like, cool. It's, you it's, can come it, with us. Great. If yeah. not, that's fine. It's the music that we made. We're yeah. doing just fine. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like we like it. We like it. It's good enough for us. We get stoked about it, playing it. And uh, a lot of people like it. And if you're one of the, not one of those people, he's not going to lose any sleep about it. I think it's the same thing for the shows as they as they wind down. I, I feel like they probably feel like they've done everything that they could they could have ever dreamed of doing. Hmm. So I'm going to try to make it to as many shows as I can. There's a couple like Sundays, the Friday shows are all. I'm not I'm not making it to Hard. any 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 other Friday shows except for Detroit. Detroit yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But the Sunday shows, there's a couple of them where I can get back and then fly and go see it. So I haven't figured out. I haven't dialed in exactly how many of those I'm going to attempt. Well, now thousands of Metallica fans that have heard you and been introduced to you on Metal Up Your Podcast are going to hunt you down in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, well, everyone buy Lee a beer. <laughs> yeah, let's hang out. He's probably going to be exhausted because he's. If you see him <laughs> in Detroit, he will. He will then be flying back to Nashville. Yeah. for a wedding, mm-hmm. and then not back for Sunday or just for the Friday. Oh no, I'm I'm gonna, I'm, I'm planning on doing both. Yeah, so the current the current plan. I haven't bought the flights yet, but the plan. Is go to the Friday show, fly back on Saturday for Dylan's wedding, see Dylan get married, have a good time, and then um, fly back to Detroit on Sunday and go to the show again. All right. So those of you listening, if you see him on Friday, buy him a water. Yeah, right. Or a Red Bull. <laughs> yeah. If you see him on Sunday, buy him a beer. And if you are some of the crew people who listen and you see Lee around, maybe snag him and throw him in that snake pit. Oh, man. There's plenty of room. 900 yeah, to 1,200 people. Yeah, it's a lot of people. It'd be a dream. I, I, I've probably got to shell it out for one of the... I'm happy to whatever you know what's it gonna cost me i don't care we'll see maybe uh i don't know maybe a digit maybe a pinky yeah well <laughs> a lowly humble pinky we'll 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 report back on that one well thank you for coming on the show man it was so fun to hang with you thank you for the black and whiskey i'm excited to watch this game with you yeah thanks for having me man this was a lot of fun uh same time next week same time next week hell yeah <laughs> thanks no, dude. really no thank you this is an honor thank you, you. got to figure out a way to say bye because we always say peace ethan of course says adios paul says thank you and this is Lee Gamilla saying, oh, fuck. <laughs>